Welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2022 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy. You can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me, as he does every week, is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at the Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, JJ. How are you? Doing good, man. Doing good. It's been a few weeks. Yeah. Well, two to be exact, you know, since the draft, and um, and obviously it was a a pretty exciting draft, you know, considering you know how many draft picks we had and what we was able to do with those draft picks. Um, I think the most exciting part of the draft for me was being able to land potentially a franchise left tackle, yeah. um, something I- that we haven't had in a long time, and and something that the fan base really wanted, something that. Um, the team really needed and you know to get the guy who I think is the you know was the top left tackle at least for you I know I was going going back and forth between him and Cross and I like Cross too but you know to get the number one guy um, on the board at that position you know was really big for Carolina and and to me like that was the most exciting um, aspect of the draft you know since then you know hasn't been a lot of noise about you know transaction and everything you know about you know with the Panthers but um I think that's because you know we just had a good draft and you know we addressed positions I'm sure there'll still be a lot of things that happen between now and the um and week one of the season but you know for right now I think we you know we came away with players that you know that that are really um not not a really good but have really good potential you know to become um, franchise mainstays and so um so anyway you know it was I think it was a productive draft you know what are your thoughts on how we did I think it's I mean almost by definition because of the the, the positions the first two picks were spent on if those yeah. guys work out it will be a fantastic draft yeah uh, and if they don't that's well that's most of the draft capital gone kind of thing so right I mean it, it was fairly obvious going to the draft that assuming the Panthers stayed at six who they take at six is going to go a long way to determining how this draft is viewed. You know, yes. You know, if if, if Ekwonu becomes a franchise left tackle, this draft will be a success, or at least will be a competent one. If anyone else in this draft works out, it will probably be a good draft. And if that someone else is Matt Corral, then it'll be a very good draft. So right. I, I think that's the thing is it is when you only have one pick in the top 135, you're quite set on that one pick having to be a real difference maker. And so, yeah. I, obviously, trading back up for for Corral in the third changes that a little bit. But ultimately, how how Ekwonu does will go a long way to determining how we think of this draft in five years' time. Like if, if yeah. he busts, it's going to be very unless Corral works out. If Ekwonu busts, no matter what happens with Smith or Barno or Barnes, it's going to be very hard for this draft to be, be a positive. So I think that's a you know, it's obviously a lot of pressure on him potentially, but I think that means that the you know, it, 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 the value in this draft is in the first two picks. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. I mean, there's every reason to believe that Ikem Aquanu can be, you know, a franchise left tackle, um, if not um, a left guard, a really good left guard. Uh, I think that's why this particular coaching staff value him as high as they did. You know, going back 
to last year when we talked about Scott Fitterer and what he said about the offensive line position. One of the, the things that he mentioned last year was that he's big on line versatility, you know, the ability to play multiple positions across the line. I don't think, I think, you know, I, think they, I think left tackle is the one exception to that because there is no point when you move your left tackle to left guard so you can play someone else at left tackle. I, I think if Aguano is healthy, he plays left tackle. Yeah, me too. And and honestly, that's where I want him to play. You know, I just know that, you know, how they value guys is is based on, you know, their ability to do multiple things. I do think they see um, Equine Newt as the left tackle. There has been some sound bites and um, quotes going back to, um, you know, early on in the offseason, you know, people talking to Scott Fitter and, and I think there was, um, I think it was Joe Person. Um, someone mentioned, you know, that they spoke to the Fitter, I think maybe at the owners meeting. Um, and I think going back to then, you know, the, the sense was that, that Equandu might've been his top tackle. And, um, and so, you know, to be able to land him, um, knowing that that was a, a glaring need for this team, you know, need to address that position. I think the, you know, the, the idea is to play him there. Um, but, you know, like, I think, you know, me mentioning him being able to play tackle and guard, I think just, you know, it just speaks to his ability and uh, and hopefully it reduce, reduces his um, bust ability. Um, yes, yeah. Know, I think, I think I, could, yeah. I think the odds of him just like flat out busting and being out of the league in three years are very low. Are, yeah. You know, you can never know injury. Like, you know, Jeff Otar just never really got healthy. So there are always those guys who just never get healthy. But, right. but if he's healthy, I think he will be a a long-term starter in the NFL. But obviously, if you take someone with a sixth overall pick, it, it's kind of franchise tackle or disappointment, really. Yeah, there's no... If, if he becomes a, a good left guard, that will still be quite hard to to look back on and think that was a really good use of the sixth pick. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah, And I remember we had this conversation about uh, um, Nelson, you know, for the Colts, who came out of Notre Dame as the top guard that year. And he went, I think, pick six yeah. um, to the Colts. And... You know, some people think that that was a value pick, you know, because of, you know, how, how he played. I know that you don't agree with that. And, you know, and even though I'm a Notre Dame guy, uh, you know, looking back at it, you know, maybe, you know, they, they could have gotten more usage out of six. I mean, he's a fine player, um, but, you know, to pick a guard that high, you know, isn't something I would want to do on my team. And, and I was having this discussion with, you know, a few people on Twitter, you know, when they suggested that um, Equinu can be, you know, an elite left guard. I was like, yeah, but you know, we didn't need to draft the guard at six. You know, yeah, so the the, the, va the value at yeah. tackle is so much greater than the value at guard. That yeah. you you know, he plays guard because you work out he can't play tackle in the NFL, not not for any other reason. Right, right, and so I mean, so no, we'll just say it. You know, we we believe we have a, a really good left tackle prospect. You know, whether or not he becomes uh, a good starting left tackle, um, you know, because I think the expectation, you know, from the fans is that he's going to be great, you know, just because we picked him at six. I think he's a fine prospect. Um, I wish him well. I mean, he is, you know, a guy that, you know, was, you know, either one or two, you know, for me, um, for left tackles when I started looking at these guys. And and so I'm, I'm very happy that we landed him. Um, but I will say, you know, for the people listening, you know, none of these guys are guaranteed things, you know, and so um, – you know, so, you know, allow him to come in and learn the position. Um, the only thing you can expect, you know, for any of these guys is that they come in, that they work hard, um, you know, that they learn everything they need to learn you know, in terms of the playbook and, um, and and that they put in the the work, 
all around to become the player that they can ultimately be. But that still doesn't make them a guaranteed thing. And and um, so, you know, be patient, too. You know, I saw, you know, someone tweet that, the you know, we, we are we know the schedule now. Um, he's going to have a, a tough test, you know, the first, you know, five or six weeks of his career. And so, uh, you know, we'll find out, you know, you know, some of what he's made of. But, you know, regardless of how he performs during that time, if, if he doesn't show well, um, if he makes some mistakes, you know, that's to be expected. He's a rookie, you know. And so uh, so I just, you know, just give him some time, you know, to to develop um, like all rookies need. And, you know, hopefully he becomes the guy, you know, that can justify being picked at number six in this draft. So this draft won't be a, a bust overall. And so, but, but before we get, you know, too deep into talking about left tackle, um, this episode is a combination of all the episodes we've had before. You know, if you've been with us for this season and, you know, for the two seasons we've been doing this, every week leading up into the draft, we try to break down the position groups and, you know, in, in terms of priority, you know, what we think the Panthers need. Um, you know, from least priority all the way into the week before the draft where we talked about the, the most crucial positions they would need. Um, the last episode we recorded, we focused on the edge class, the tackle class, and the QB class. And, you know, we were able to come away with two of those positions, you know, with using our top two picks in this draft. And so I think we did well, but you know, since we did make the picks and now it's just time to focus on who we drafted. And so I'm going to let Vincent, you know, go through the draft picks uh, during this episode and, and give a breakdown. We interact about, a, you know, about them as we go through them. But um, I'm going to turn this over to Vincent so he can just go through the picks and, and give you his analysis of who these guys are and what we can expect from them. OK, so obviously the first pick was Ikemekwano, um, I think it's my top tackle. Uh, and was certainly one of the sort of the consensus top three tackles for this class. Um, I think he is probably the best case scenario for what they could do with the sixth pick if they picked at six. I think you know Scott Pitcher talked about how the way the board fell, the the trade interest they had to trade up was mostly around the corners who went um, three and four, and so the trade interest just largely wasn't there. What that meant is is because those were the players the Panthers didn't really want to pick the player who they did want to pick fell to them. So it was one of those things where it, for the Panthers picking at six, this was how the, the board fell. And it was, in terms of staying at six, it was probably the best way it could have fallen. I think he was the probably the best prospect for the Panthers, barring them being really in love with one of the QB prospects. Um, I, I think he is, you know, sort of talking about this before we started recording, but you know, after the draft, every rookie comes out and says that they modeled their game after one Hall of Famer or a future Hall of Famer and all pro. You know, you know Amari Barno came out this week and said he modeled his game after uh, Von Miller. You know, right. but, but, and so you, you can't be like, well, I, I imagine he must play like Von Miller then. But I think the thing is that when Equano came after, out of the draft um, and, and said that he modeled his game after Trent Williams, you can actually see how that does make some sense. In that I think yeah. you know, Trent Williams is one of those players who is just in a separate tier from almost everybody else in the NFL. Not because he's necessarily better, just there are things he can do that no one else can. Right. And I think Egwono is one of the very few tackle prospects who genuinely has a chance to do those things as well. Like the stuff you see about Trent Williams, you know, uh, getting out on screens and running 30 yards down the field and the next play, like driving a guard off the ball on yes. a, an inside run. 
Ekonu is one of those guys who can do that. He has the power to be the inside nasty, you know, down blocking on a on a guard to move him out of the 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 B gap, but can also then get out in space, run 20 yards and make a block on a safety. So in terms of the best case scenario, his best case scenario is about as good as any tackle's best case scenario can be. Yeah. The flip side of that is he is not like the polished stick him out week one will be perfect type prospect that say guys like Ryan Ramchick, he went to the Saints from Wisconsin or um, Jedrick Wills to Alabama to the Browns. They were guys who maybe did not have like that absolute top end ceiling, but were basically just like plug and play starting tackle. He's not that. He needs technique work. But I think the really encouraging thing is if you go back and watch his 2020 tape and then his 2021 tape, you can see he is getting better. Like Dave Gettleman did a lot of not great things as GM, but he was quite good at actually saying some quite smart things. And I think one of the things he talked about, I think with the Shaq Thompson pick, was this idea that you always want to select guys whose arrow is still pointing up, guys who, who, who are still improving not just that they have potential, but they are they are realizing that potential year on year. And I think yeah. Ecuador is one of those guys. Like I went and watched him after the 2020 season. And I must say it was one of those things where you thought this guy's got loads of potential, but he's just unbelievably raw. Like you know, he's so speculative. Um, yeah. and then you go back and watch the 2021 tape, and he is a significantly better player. Yeah. And and I think so that doesn't guarantee that he will just continue improving ad infinitum. I think he is someone who you can be, although there are things he needs to work on, you know, his pad level, you know, he looked like he tried some different stances during his 2021 season. I think they need to sort of work out what stance works best for him. You know, yeah. personally, I think he was better with the more open stance, but that's the coaches will have a view on that as well. But if he can sort of refine that, continue to work on his technique, the biggest thing for him is making sure that he keeps his arms up and his weight over his feet. Because um, the times when he gets most in trouble, it's just that he lets his arms drop by his side, and then it's just you're almost like punching it air because you're right. trying to raise and punch at the same time, and it means right. you end up punching wide. So even when you do hit, you often hit the shoulders rather than the chest. Yeah, um, and it just means you play with less control. It often allows like defenders to crowd you. So even if you get hand location on the chest, you've got bent elbows, and you can't really do very much with it. So th- there are things he needs to work on, but given how much he's improved there is should be hope that he can keep on improving at a reasonable rate. So I think yeah. he he might not be the guy who goes out like week one and just like handles Miles Garrett. Right. But I think the key for him is, can he be competent enough week one that they can put him out there and it's just not a disaster? You know, yeah. you know, you know if he gives up, you know, hopefully the Panthers don't get in the situation, but I think one of the concerns you have with someone like Brady Christensen is if you go back and watch the Giants game, as the game got later on and the Giants pass rushers were able to just pin their ears back and go after him, he yeah. just became a complete turn. So he just, just, you know, he ultimately did not have the ability when it, when, when, when everyone knew they were going to throw the ball and he had to pass it one-on-one, he couldn't just right. get it done. You know, right. And I think you need a corner to be good enough week one that he's not a liability. So yes. he needs to be okay week one. And then it's about how he improves over his season. You want to be able to look at the week one tape and the week 18 tape and go, this guy has, is getting better. Because if he's yeah. still getting better, if he can keep getting better and getting better, then his ceiling is extremely high. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and that's what I'm hoping for with him too. You know, I mean, he, he has a tough test, you know, against Miles Garrett. And, and, and like a lot of players who play edge at the NFL level, 
Miles Garrett normally lines up over the left tackle. You know, he's a right defensive end, you know, for the most part, and he's dominant. And so uh, Ikem Aquanu will get tested early on. Um, hopefully, you know, the way the game goes, you know, is that we're not in a situation where, you know, we're in obvious passing situations for much of the second half, and you know, where he can, can get exploited early on. You know, like a great game playing for the Panthers every week, not just against Miles Garrett, but against any opponent um, is that, you know, we have a strong and effective run game, you know, that we're in control of the, of the, of the game and the tempo. Um, and, and we can use McQuanu um, to be what he's really, really good at, you know, as a, as an effective run blocker. Um, and, and he, you know, it can be, you know, exposed less early on. And, and so there will be times where, you know, we will, be behind. Um, that's just the nature of the NFL, where we'd be in obvious passing situations and he would be tested. But I think the plan for the Panthers overall is to limit all of that, you know, for not just the left tackle, you know, for any lineman and the quarterback plan. You know, you know it's just to be in games to where you don't put these young offensive linemen in positions to get exploited because there's not a lot of teams, you know, that have offensive lines that are built to just take on NFL defenses that can just pin their ears back and go after the quarterback, you know, week after week. So, and crucially, as, as a young, you know, the, the big thing for rookies coming to the NFL is just the speed of the game gets so much faster. Yeah. And, and the issue is, particularly for the offensive linemen, where so much of it is about, you know, body control, hand discipline, make, you know, re- reading and reacting to what the guy is showing you. When everything is looking like it's sped up, right. that becomes much harder. And so yeah. if you're throwing the ball and throwing the ball and throwing the ball, particularly against a really good edge rusher, it, it's, it's not that he can't be the guy who in two years' time is perfectly okay doing that. But if yeah. you're throwing him out week one, it, there's gonna, it's going to be a little bit of, you know, you know, rabbit and headlights kind of, you know, if you're throwing it 40 times against Mark Garrett, Miles Garrett, yeah, it's going to be, you know, he could be really good for like 80% of the time. But if you're yeah. doing that over and over and over again, there are going to be plays where Garrett wins. And yeah, most definitely. And it, it, I think there's also a bit where, particularly for, you know, like, it seems like a perfect issue. You know, he doesn't seem like he's lacking self-confidence. Not that he was sort of, you know, some huge ego, but he, you know, I don't think he's worried about his ability. No. But if you go out there and you go up three sacks week one as a rookie, it does get in your head a bit. And if you give up yeah. two the next week and one the week after, it, yeah. it starts to get in your head. So I think there's, you know, he needs to be. There's no point playing him for the sake of playing him early if he's not ready. But if he is ready, then there's no point resting him for half a season. Yeah. Because no, I mean, you've got to go I, out there and suffer at some point. No, I, I I definitely think he needs to to be ready to play. I mean, a lot of that is based on him and him getting ready. But the most ideal situation for the Panthers because of the position he plays is that he's ready to go early on. Yeah. And so th- that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, I don't want to rush him. I do agree with what you say. I mean, I think, you know, we do have to protect these guys, um, you know, but if if he's able, then we should try to play him and, and see what he can do. You know, but again, that's that's going to be on the coaches, you know, to be able to observe and make a determination on based on what they see in practice and in training camp and in the preseason. You know, we'll know by then because we would have seen him enough by then to know, you know, what he looks like you know hopefully the preseason shows us a little bit of that 
Um, yeah, I, and we pick up uh, you know in training camp and you know the, all the observations going on in the summer. You know, hopefully we'll know that by then how good he looks. Yeah, I think it's one of the things where you, I think people often underestimate also the importance for rookies of just staying healthy through camp because once yeah. you get into the season, there's just not that much teaching coming. Like if you're not yeah. up to speed to start the season, it becomes it, it's not easy to get up to speed later on. Right. So you, as a rookie, you always want them to have like a fairly healthy. OTAs, training camp, preseason, and just you have, you have the whole thousand hours stuff that we're all bangs on about. There is some validity to that, and you do want guys to have got as much playing time, as many reps as possible before you get to week one. Because, yeah. you know, maybe he's still not ready, but if he's only played 100 snaps because he's missed half the practices because he's, you know, tweaked his ankle or just, just stuff that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, those, it becomes harder and harder to get guys up to scratch. And Whereas if it's your you know, year seven, if you miss half the preseason, you know what you're doing, particularly if you're in the same you know, offense or defense as a year ago, you can kind of just roll up having practiced a little bit and, and turn up and be okay. Whereas yeah. rookies, they really need that. Just They just need the reps at full game speed before week one rolls around. And so it, you know, if he gets injured, don't be surprised if he doesn't play right away because even if he's healthy come the season, if he's not up to speed, then there's no point sticking him out there to, to yeah. be a sacrificial lamb. No, I, I agree with that. So, yeah, I think, you know, the key thing with him, you know, is that he can get through camp, get through the summer healthy and, and be healthy enough to get the reps that he needs. And and honestly, I mean, I think if he, for some reason, like you said, something that he tweaks, you know, that keeps him out of practice, you know, keep him from getting those reps, um, I do hope that the coaching staff is, is um, smart enough to to keep him off the field early on, you know, till they feel like he's actually ready. And that, you know, for all the things that we say about this coaching staff, you know, Matt Rule and and and, and everything, I think he seems like a guy who wouldn't do that. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I yeah, I he seems that, to be a pretty cautious guy when it comes to taking care of players. I mean, that's basically what happened to Deontay Brown last year. Is he got hurt during some of his OTAs or training camp, yeah. and just you know. By the time he was back healthy, he was too far behind to be a serious contender to start. So he only played right at the end of the season because you know he got behind during camp and OTAs, and it took him almost all the season to catch up. Basically, yeah, yeah, and 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 so I mean, a lot of people you know lost that with Deontay Brown, and you know there were frustrations because we you know we didn't have a good offensive line, and when he was healthy again, you know everybody expected him to play, but like you said, you know there's just not enough reps you know, in the week, you know, to really get a guy up to speed if they're not up to speed. Um, and, you know, and that probably led to fan frustrations with not seeing, you know, a guy who they thought could be a solution, you know, get in the game. But um, just the real, you know, I think the reality of the league is that, you know, you play on Sundays, you know, typically is what, Monday off and, you know, Tuesday you get back in, look at film and everything. Wednesday you may get out for a practice, Thursday, Friday's walkthroughs and, you know, you're traveling and or whatever. And, you know, it's just not the time, not enough time to really get up to speed to have the confidence and trust of a coach to put you out there on the Sunday. And also the reps kind of change. Whereas during training camp, there is more of a genuine rotation of like first string, second string, third string. As you get into the season, it just becomes like basically instilling game plan in first string guys getting second yeah. string guys so they got know what they're doing and the third string guys just playing the scout team pretty much. Yeah. So yeah. The, the proportion of reps that the first team get increases during the season because it's about getting ready for the weekend, not right. building and developing and evaluating. 
Yeah. Yeah. So so the thing is, the takeaway for 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 Equino is stay healthy, dude. You know, so you can <laughs> practice, so you can be ready for week one. Because I do, you know, want to see the season start with him um, as the as the starting left tackle week one. You know, yeah. I mean, if he's ready, I I, I would like to see that. If it's if it was the quarterback position. Um, it would be a little bit different for me because I don't think that you necessarily have to throw a quarterback out there week one just because you drafted him in the first round or early in the first round. Um, but because, you know, this guy plays tackle um, and, and I mean, not that it's any less important, you know, overall, I just think that um, it's a position where you can get up to speed and, you know, if you're ready, then you need to play. Um, yeah, the, the learning curve is not so like the quarterback look like the step up in terms of what you have to do mentally and how quickly you have to, be able to process for quarterbacks is just so much deeper than every other position. So, yeah. you know, there are very few rookie quarterbacks who can come in, start week one and be okay. Whereas you, on the offensive line, it's not easy, but it, it, you know, if things go well this offseason, he can be ready to start week one. Yeah. And, and I have every reason to believe that, you know, seemingly is a really intelligent guy. Um, yeah. You know, you know, he definitely has all the aptitude and everything that it would take to to learn the playbook to, to get ready. So it just like you said, I think it comes down to to being able to get those reps to to stay healthy enough to have those reps and and just being you know ready, you know, to step up to the challenge when the time comes. I, I do think this this organization, this front office, this coaching staff. I, I think they're really excited about him. I think they're trying to contain that a little bit, you know, but I think they're really excited to have him and yeah. they're excited to show what he can do. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited too, man. I think it's really, I think we were winners on um, on day one because, you know, I, for a lot of draft scouts and evaluators and, you know, all those NFL pundits, a lot of people had Equinu as the top, you know, either one, two or three player on their boards. And we were able to land him at, at number six and, and for a position that we really needed really badly. And so uh so I'm just I'm just ready to see what that looks like on Sunday and see how much it changes um how we look as a team on Sundays. Yeah. No, I I think crucially the other thing I sort of forgot to say earlier is that the other thing that in terms of the, the Trent Williams comparisons that although the Panthers look like they're gonna run more of a power type run scheme this year, I think yeah. one who has the skill set that he can fit any scheme. Like if a you know. Proof, you know, there are guys who have come in the rule regime who, if they, particularly the offensive linemen, if they tear everything up and they go to a completely new scheme, then it's not clear how well Bozeman or Corbett could fit in that. But I think whatever scheme they go to, Equanu can play whatever scheme. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's and that's important, you know, because I know when I was like looking at these guys, you know, I, I saw Equanu. You know, a lot of stuff based on what I'm hearing about him, you know, was like based on his ability to run block and be a power guy. And so I kind of like pigeonholed him a little bit, you know, to being that type of a guy, you know, whereas, you know, I saw Cross as being like a more pass pro guy. And and so I kind of got infatuated with that, you know, because, you know, we've been needing left tackle for a long time. But in my mind, it was more so just due to just having, you know, pure, you know, pass protection um, deficiencies and, and so, um, you know, Aquanu was somebody that I kind of had, like as being, like you said, the Trent Williams guy, you know, as he said that he modeled his game after, and you can definitely see that. But when I think about Trent Williams, he's been a really good pass pro guy, but yeah. I always see it, but, but his highlights and his tape is always showing him being like an enforcer. 
in the run game. And, and so I think I just kind of start seeing Aquanu that way and um, not focusing on how well he could fit other schemes if asked to. And so, I mean, I'm excited to see that. We don't know, you know, honestly, what Ben McAdoo's offense is going to look like, you know, and... and no, I, I think given, given the signings of Bozeman and Corbett, I think it's probably not going to be the, you know, seven-step drop um, vertical passing offense that you might have got under... Um, Joe Brady say like I, I don't think it's going to be that it's not going to be the throw it 40 times a game uh yeah. you know it, it, it's going to be more of a run focused scheme I think because you know I think Bozeman and Corbett can be decent pass protectors they can hold their own there but th- their value is as run blockers not as pass protectors yeah and and and, and that's where the, you know like I, I I love that type of offense you know number one and like that's I think because I'm so old, you know, like I really believe in, you know, that being winning football, but I know that the game has changed a lot, you know, to be more um, pass, you know, pass oriented, you know, offenses and, and having QBs who can really take advantage of, you know, all the things that, you know, that the the, the new rules and everything gives them, um, you know, but I, I like being able to enforce your will on offense by running the football, by taking the other team's will and being dominant in the trenches. And so it would be really good to see, you know, Carolina be that way because, you know, we've been that way before and we've won a lot of games that way. And, you know, it, it wasn't by just being that, you know, being dominant in the run game, but, you know, if we can get a good healthy balance of being really good in the run game. Um, I think when, 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 Carolina had his best seasons. I think Carolina was always in the top 10, you know, maybe top five in, in rushing attack. And so I know for a couple of those seasons they were. And so it'd be good to return to, you know, to having that type of run game again in Carolina. I mean, you have Chris McCaffrey, you have Foreman, you know, you have um, Chuba Hubbard, you know, somebody else might step up, you know, from, you know, from the, you know, from being an undrafted free agent or whatnot and, and, and become a good, healthy part of that rotation. I just want to see those bats be able to, like, you know, to to control the tempo of the game, you know, to go out there and get, you know, four yards a carry, you know, you know, like, man, to, to be able to open up a drive, run the football, you know, get four yards on one carry, come back and get five yards on the next, and now you're looking at third and one consistently, you know, that gives you a lot of options, you know? Yeah, and, and it, takes, it takes a lot of pressure off whoever is quarterback as well. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about Matt Corral in a second, but I think the odds are the Panthers are not going to have amazing QB play this year. Yeah, whether it's yeah. Sam Darnold or whether it's Corral being thrown out there later in the season, right. I, I I don't think you're going to have a team led by a quarterback. You're going to have an offense in which which allows a quarterback to to operate. And I think yeah. the bet you know if you can run the ball effectively, particularly if you can start doing some stuff to move the pocket and all that kind of stuff, it just makes it easier on on quarterbacks to eventually you know. What Cleveland did with Baker Mayfield—they just made things really easy for him, right? Uh, and you know, like if people look at you know who like Tom Brady, who's now considered the the greatest quarterback of all time by most people. Tom Brady started his career a lot like that. You know, yeah. like they, they ran the ball really well. You know, Tom Brady was asked to move the chains. He did it at a really efficient rate. You know, for a young guy, um, but I remember that. You know, I'm old enough to remember when Tom Brady. You know came into existence as an NFL starter with the Patriots. And, um, but they had a really, really 
I don't know if it was simple, you know, but they didn't ask the quarterback to do a lot. Um, and he no. did his job really effectively and he became, you know, better and better. And then as the more he grew, the more they trusted him to be the guy. And yeah, I, I think I, I do always feel a bit like with Peyton Manning, comparing anyone to Brady always. I'm not even comparing him to Brady, but the I, I, I think although players like Patrick Mahomes are obviously exceptionally good, I think their, yeah. their path is much more reproducible. Because yeah. I think ultimately Mahomes has, is a very talented thrower of the ball who is good executing an offense. And I think that is much easier to kind of train and replicate because ultimately, as long as you're drafting guys with the arm talent, you can teach some of that. Yeah. Whereas I think uh, like Pey- Peyton Manning was the best quarterback pre-snap the NFL has ever seen. Yeah. And you, you cannot teach people to be like Peyton Manning. And I think Tom Brady was the best post-snap processor the NFL has ever seen. And I don't, mm. think, you can, I don't think you can train people to be that either. Um, right. And I think... Resting guys early and giving them support is clearly the way to develop quarterbacks. Yeah. I think expecting, I, I don't think you would ever expect to develop someone to play like Brady plays because I think how he plays is so, so beyond what anyone has done in that specific style of play. No, no, yeah. no one has dominated post snap like Brady has in the same way that no one has dominated pre snap like Matt. I never thought about it that way. And it made sense, you know, now that you're saying that, you know, it's just, you know, because you're right, you know, like I remember seeing Peyton Manning um, ascend to greatness, you know, and, and the what he was able to do, you know, at the line of scrimmage, you know, calling audibles, the Omaha, Omaha, you know, all that stuff, you know, through the years and, you know, and just being able to be a master manipulator, you know, based on what he saw. Um, Tom Brady, I never saw him, you know, at the same pre-snap cerebral level. I mean, he was doing some of the same stuff, you know. But what you said about post-snap, I don't think I've ever thought about it in that way. But now that you say it, it makes sense. Like, you know, being able to read, you know, what's happening as he's dropping back and observing, you know, going through his progressions. Yeah, his ability to, I think... Obviously, if you go back and watch that Super Bowl, the 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 Pats Falcons Super Bowl, um, which obviously is you know entertaining because the, the Falcons <laughs> blew a massive lead, but if you watch that Tom Brady performance, particularly in the second half, right, it's just a, a there aren't loads of super difficult throws. There are some, of course, but it really yeah. is about someone ruthlessly and efficiently executing a game plan, play after play after play after play after play after play, and it's yeah. all just recognizing what's there getting in the right play and then just making the right read quickly and efficiently over and over and over again. Yeah. And that kind of ruthless efficiency combined with the arm talent and the ability to throw down the field when needed. I mean, you know, the kind of the, the prime Brady years, he was genuinely very good at throwing the ball as well. He wasn't just, you know, I think Peyton Manning was an okay thrower of football who was yeah. able to be an all pro because of what he did mentally. I think Brady is a good thrower of football, maybe even very good was able yeah. to become legitimately the greatest quarterback he's ever played because of how he dominated post I think that's you what know, sets him apart from anyone. You know, it's funny. I remember, you know, maybe, you maybe, about, maybe Breeze is sort of in that same conversation. Yeah, possibly. You know, you're speaking about what Tom did versus the Falcons, like you say, and it's always cool to talk about that because it's the Falcons too. But the, the but the, I think the Super Bowl, was it two years before that? 
Yeah, two years before that. Um, was it when? When did they play? When did they play the Seahawks? Yeah, I think it was two. Two years. Yeah, two yeah, years. Twenty twenty fourteen season. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So the two years before that, the year before Carolina went, um, that Seahawks defense was still dominant. Yeah. And that Seahawks defense was the same defense that had just shut down all-time Peyton Manning in Denver the year before in the Super Bowl. And so here comes, you know, Tom Brady up to task, you know, in the next Super Bowl against that same Legion of Boom. And I remember him just picking that defense apart, you know, like little by little, just surgically, just picking them apart, taking little, you know, seven-yard passes, you know, eight-yard passes, nine-yard passes, five-yard passes. And he just chipped and chipped and chipped and chipped away until the confetti was falling. I mean, obviously, you know, that that game is remembered because, you know, Seattle decided to throw the ball instead yeah. of running the ball down there. But, but literally, nobody was really supposed to score a lot of points on that defense, you know, even to, like, Seattle, they should have, or they probably would have dominated that game against any other quarterback. Yeah. And the fact that Brady stayed patient and didn't never try to force the big play because that's what they wanted quarterbacks to do. Yeah. He just stayed within the game plan. He stayed within his own game plan and he surgically eliminated them. And I, I just, so, you know, I've watched a lot and I always rag on Tom Brady. I just, I, I just I don't hate the guy. You know, I appreciate his greatness. I just hate that he's won so much. And, you know, and 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 then he's beat, you know, he, he beat Carolina for one of those Super Bowls. Um, and like things always seem to fall his way, but you know, it's it's, it's probably a product of the fact that he's always putting himself in position to win. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. um, you know, but anyway, I, I I do appreciate his greatness. And and for me as a fan, just as a football fan, to me that was his his greatest moment. It didn't get talked about a lot because like the narrative all went to them not giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch and throwing the interception um, on the goal line. But what Tom Brady did in that game to me was like one of the most impressive things I did. And I've seen because to me, he did it against what I thought was one of the most dominant defenses of our era. And, and the other thing is if you then follow that through the 2015 season, when they played the, uh, the Broncos in the uh, AFC championship game, he went really close to beating that that Denver team that was yeah. again one the of one the that, all-time great defenses, but then yeah. absolutely you know, not stuffing out of the Panthers. Yeah. They came, the Patriots came really close to putting that game out, and they had nowhere near enough talent to justify being that close. Like right. They, they right. You know, he made a really good go of, of, of that as well. I mean, I, not to make this about the Tom Brady podcast, but yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I think I said this again last year. But like for me. Brady and LeBron have this similarity. I think both guys got anointed too early. Yeah. But then later careers backed up that anointment in yeah. a way that I think people, you know, people talking about both of them as like goats way too early in their careers. Like when their when their resumes just did not justify, it. they were just the, the hot topic at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, as their careers have gone on, both guys have built resumes where you think actually no, now that is genuinely a conversation. And it's almost been undermined a bit because of how early they were anointed. Yeah, I mean, to me personally, I would tell you, you know, for Tom Brady, you know, that was my issue with him early on. I grew up, you know, before the the Carolina Panthers existed, I was a 49ers fan. 
I'm a Joe Montana guy, right? And so when Tom hit like number three and people started saying that he was the GOAT, like I really took offense to that, you know, because yeah. I have a GOAT, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, it was, yeah, so, it was you know, LeBron wins one ring, he is the greatest of the Yeah, yeah, yeah so, yeah, if you saw Jordan, you know, when people started saying that LeBron was like the GOAT after he won his first in Miami, you're like, hold up, pump brace. You know, like I've seen greatness. Now, I was like that about Joe Montana. You know, when they when they started talking about Tom Brady, I was like, whoa, pump your brakes. I've seen greatness, you know, and so like don't don't say that yet. Um, and eventually it got to the point the way he just won so much, you know, to where it's like, all right, you know, maybe I don't have to I don't have to accept them as my goal, but you know, I can see why you say he's your goal, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, personally, I'm it's, I'm still a Joe Montana guy. Uh, but but I can see why everybody would say that Tom Brady is the GOAT over him. You know, but like you said, it's the it's cool to see that despite the fact they might have gotten done the, the GOAT early in their careers or prematurely, um, the fact that they took that and they were able to like stay, you know, stay, stay relevant, stay winning um, through it all. Because even the thing is with Pat Mahomes like now, you know, people yeah. were saying that about him, you know, two years ago that, you know, like the, he might be the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. I don't think people realize how hard it is to continuously make it to the Super Bowl, to continue to win. And although it seems like it's really, really, uh, you know, like plausible, you know, that they could get, you know, six, seven, eight win, you no know, championships because he won so early. All of a sudden, the years start passing by. And other teams start getting better. Other quarterbacks rise up. And then suddenly it's been 10 years since you won the championship and you're looking like Aaron Rodgers. You know, <laughs> yeah, so. Or Russell Wilson. Yeah. Or know, Russell it, Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. So you just, you don't. That's why when people do things like Tom Brady, like I said, not turn this into his podcast, you know, but like when people do things the way that he's done to, to, to have the run that LeBron James had, you know, over the last decade, like that's what makes those those feats so special is because it's so hard to get there you know first of all and then when you get there you actually win and tom brady has what seven now yeah something ridiculous and it's so hard to win you know it's so hard to make the playoffs in the nfl you know then to make the playoffs and even get to your conference championship and then to make the Super Bowl, just to make the Super Bowl and then to make the Super Bowl and win it. Like most teams who make it to the Super Bowl and lose the Super Bowl, they struggle to even get back. You know, they have and the I, Super Bowl hangover. I think that's the thing. Like to make this vaguely Panthers related, um, again, I think that's the thing that if you look back about the like the Cam Luke Rivera era, yeah. I don't think the disappointment is that they didn't win a win a title. I think there have been lots of good teams that never won a title. I think it's that the if you look at, say, Seattle in that era, they yeah. only won one ring, but they were in the playoffs year after year after year for about half a decade. And I think the fact that, you know, with Cam and Luke, the Panthers had three winning seasons. Right. I think that that is the frustration. It, it, it's the fact that they weren't able to build. And I don't think it was either of those players for what I should point out. I think it was the coaching staff's issue and just bad luck. Yeah, um, it, it, it was definitely that. Like, Carolina was... was was winning on the backs of having two generational athletes um, that were good enough to basically impose their will on any given Sunday. Yeah. And most times, you know, 
and most times they did. Um, they they really didn't get a lot of help from coaching. I, I think um, I think defensively they, the coaching was pretty good. I mean, McDermott yeah, I mean, was clearly a very good DC. During the McDermott years, they they were, and you know, and obviously that showed up, and you know, on the field, and it showed up statistically, you know, while he was here. But but uh, Shula's game plan was almost like let Cam Newton be the best player in the world. Yeah, and quite a lot of the time he was. Um, he was. But the issue is, is that when he wasn't, there was no support system. But right. can we talk about the draft again. Yes. Yes. So so, <laughs> so speaking of speaking of the last you know franchise quarterback. You know, we were able to land um, Matt Corral. You know, who who some had as their top QB on the board. I, I know um, Chris Sims said that he was the top QB in this in this draft class. Most people thought it was Malik Willis. Other people thought it was Kenny Pickett for his pro readiness. Um, but Matt Corral, you know, from what I saw, um, you know, was you know either you know top two, top three. Yeah. Um, in his class, and the Panthers were able to land him in the third round. So, you know, I know we talked about Matt Corral a little bit before, but, you know, like, what are you feeling about the pick now? Um, I think there's kind of two bits, well, several bits to the pick. I think taking Matt Corral where they took Matt Corral is a good pick. Uh, yeah. I, you know, quarterbacks, barring the very rare exception, are gambles, and Matt Corral is a gamble. Like, he needs a lot of work. He should definitely not start week one unless he has some amazing training camp. He needs, you know, he needs to work on operating inside more NFL offense. His decision-making needs some work. Some of that is about what instructions you're given as well. Like, I think that's one thing with college quarterbacks is often they are, they are not just playing in non-NFL-like offenses, but they are given coaching that is not NFL-like. Yeah. Um, a great example of that is uh, Kyler Murray when he was at Oklahoma. It was fairly clear that if like the first couple of reads weren't there, most of the time he was being told to just take off and run. Just be um, yeah. And it's not, and I think you have to separate can he work past the second read from is he being asked to work past the second read kind of thing. Right. Um, so I think Corral was encouraged to throw 50 50 balls and he threw yeah. a lot of 50 50 balls. I remember you. I, I remember when we talked quarterbacks um, a couple of weeks ago. You made that point about him. I don't know if it was during the recording or before the recording. You said that he threw way too many 50-50 balls, and that in the NFL, you know, we would lose that battle. You know, a lot. Or, or, or that you just can't. It's just not an efficient way of playing football. Yeah, you can't just yeah. keep taking 50-50 shots. Now, do you think that was by design in Lane Kiffin's scheme, or was it? You know, is or is that something that that he naturally does. I think it's definitely a feature of what Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin wants you to push the ball down the field. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes he was just encouraged to push the ball down the field. Yeah. And and sometimes he just missed. Um, like, right. you know, there were some deep misses on tape. Not, I think he can be an accurate downfield thrower, but yeah, he just needs to he needs to get in an NFL offense and focus on just working through reads and 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 making good reads, not just justifiable reads. Because sometimes sometimes you do have to throw a 50 50 ball. Like you, know, you can't always have guys open. And often when yeah. you're throwing it down the field, they aren't you know, DJ Moore has made a career out of turning 50 50 balls into like 70 30 balls. Yeah. Because you because you do have to take those shots and the guy isn't always wide open. Yeah. But the issue is when it's like second and ten, then that's probably not the time to throw a 30 yard fade. Um, <laughs> you know, you know. I mean, I remember once the Panthers, the Giants or the Jets, 
they it was like third and five on the 35 and they threw a, a deep fade to Devin Funchess. And it's like, it's not an awful throw if it was second and five, but on third right. down, it'd be quite nice if you put a slightly higher percentage yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. decision there. Um, now, do you do you think Matt Corral is a guy based on what you saw on tape? And I, I mean, I, that night, I stayed up till like two o'clock in the morning, like at the frustration of my wife, you know, just like on YouTube. I I put YouTube up on the TV. It was like, okay, let me find every everybody's um, analysis of Matt Corral, and you know, just go through all of them and watch the guys who were critical and you know everything. And um, but you know, the one thing I couldn't discern you know from watching everything that I watched was you know like how does that translate to him making progressions at the NFL level like is it is it capable you know based on I think those are the things that they will have to have determined from interviews like you could you can what you can do on tape is you can interpret how someone operates inside the scheme they're in the issue with evaluating quarterbacks in particular is often what they're asked to do is so different between college and the NFL yeah, yeah. So, like, he can work through reads. There are bits of anticipation, not as much as you might ideally like, but he's not that he is just like, you know, if we compare, I think his tape is more encouraging than Malik Willis's was in terms of working through reads. Yeah. I think the difference is for me is that he does not have Willis's ridiculous upside athletically. I think he yeah. can be, you know, he is going to have to be good at making reads to be a good NFL quarterback, whereas Willis just needs to be okay to be a good NFL quarterback. You know, that, that was one of the things I saw or heard when I, I went back and listened to Chris Sims break down Matt Corral is that he alleged that Matt Corral might be faster than Malik Willis. And I just, I was like, I don't see that. You know, I, I mean, he's a great athlete. And yeah, I, I think I think he's a good athlete not a great athlete like, i mean you know what i mean i mean i, I was just you know kind of but, no, no, but, 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 but he's a good he's a good athlete and he, and i didn't want can, to he, take he, away from him. he can move around a bit and he can definitely do some stuff if the pocket breaks down but he should not be the guy you're designing runs for 10 times a game like whereas both Rizza and willis i think can be legitimate parts of your running game i think corral oh, really? is a guy who can scramble when he has to you know the one thing that i liked about Matt Corral, when I went back and did, you know, when I watched the tape on him, was he could be scrambling to his right or left. And I think I noticed it more when he went to his left because of just the way that you have to naturally turn your body around to, to launch it. He always seems to, I won't say always, but I like that he seems to be focused on getting his feet set. Like, even on the roll, even on the run, like, he he tries to square his hips, you know, to to really get into throwing position. Um, yeah. I even looked at, you know, like a breakdown of like him working with his trainer. Um, he I think he retweeted this. It was something that, like some special that was done right before the draft. And you know, his his guy that was working with him. I'm not sure that every trainer you know tries to do this with their with their guys, but you know, the guy was like, you know, like look, you know. Wherever your feet are pointed, that's where the ball is going. Or wherever your front foot is pointed or whatever, that's where the ball is going. And you can see that on on film is that he tries to do it like it's intentional. Like it doesn't matter yeah. how much press he's under. He tries to get that 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 front foot pointed in the direction that he's trying to throw the ball. And yeah. some guys I see, you know, like they'll throw off of one foot, they'll throw off the wrong foot, you know, they'll just throw something that looks really, really awkward you know, under the rest. And I've, I saw enough, you know, instances where Matt Corral looks like he tries to to do that, that that fundamental thing. And I, I mean, I'm not a 
a tape guy, you know, so sometimes I don't know what I'm looking at. But in that particular instance, I knew what I was looking for. And it seems to show up a lot. Yeah, I think the the times when he is inaccurate tend to be when he can't do that or when it's yeah. not easy. That, that's when the inaccuracy comes in with him. And he's right. done wrong. He's not a wildly. He's, he's an accurate thrower. Um, yeah. But I think often, when you get these RPO type offenses, often they do ask guys to make throws off base. Yeah. And because he's got a really quick release, but it's yeah. quite a whippy motion. And I think yeah. that means that when when he doesn't get his feet set, that can be more erratic than someone who has a more kind of uh, sort of stilted, segmented motion. Someone who's got more of a clearer, direct, straight arm motion. Yeah, um, like I know one of the things that was criticized about him is that like every every throw seems to be coming from like his ear hole on his helmet. You know, like it's right by his ear. Yes. Yeah. Like that's that's as that's as far back as he goes. Yeah. But he gets enough, yes, but yeah, and he gets enough velocity on it, you know, um, from that from that position. Um, but you know, they said that sometimes that can lead to inaccuracy too. I guess if he's not hundred yeah, percent yeah. line and 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 his feet is set, you know, in, in line with that with his throwing motion, uh, that it could cause some accuracy issues. And I mean, and that's another thing, like, you know, you go back and look at it, it doesn't look bad on tape. It just, but you notice that things that people saw, like is is there, like he really throws from that position a lot. Yeah, I, th- I think the big thing with accuracy uh, is what you want is a reproducible motion. Yeah. Even if it looks weird, you want to be able to do the same thing over and over and over again. Because right. if it's reproducible, you can start adjusting it. The issue is if it changes throw to throw, it becomes yeah. hard to be accurate because you're just not being consistent. Yeah. And I think his throw is quite consistent. I think the, the issue there is very clearly for him, the issue comes when he isn't able to set his feet. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, only, like, that's not, it's, it's not some massive issue. I think for him, the big question mark is all about whether he can master the mental side of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think I even heard one comparison, not that their throwing motions are alike, but the fact that they are kind of unique. Um, and Matt Corrales doesn't look unique, you know, to the naked eye. But when you start looking for it, then you like, you see it. Um, but Philip Rivers has, you know, that thing, you know, like, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's not the same because his look a lot, is it looks a lot more awkward. But like what you said is that it's consistent. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's the same, you know, and, and so... Uh, Matt Corral the same way where, you know, he has that trajectory coming from, you know, that part, you know, by his ear. Um, but like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a lightning quick release. Um, you know, if, if everything is, is in line, then it's accurate. And, you know, and I think that part of his game is what I think Ben McAdoo fell in love with. You know, it's just the fact that he's, a, you know, he has his quick release. Um, that said, the thing that I get stuck on when I start thinking about you know, what Matt Corral can possibly be for the Panthers. You know, he's, you know, he's a third round pick, 94th overall. Um, I think that takes a lot of pressure off of him, you know, to to people who are rational um, in terms of what he can become or what he has to become. But I think he has the potential to be as good as any other QB in the class, um, you know, just yeah. based on ability. Um, yeah, with Willis aside. Yeah, I mean, you know, Willis, I think Matt Corral, the difference between Matt Corral, I'm, I mean, obviously I'm a Willis guy. You know, uh, I was on the record, you know, for saying that he was my number one QB, uh, but it was all based on his upside. You know, and yeah, I think yeah. we clearly outlined that, you know, I, I'm, I was, 
I was saved and sanctified, you know, in the QB situation when I saw um, Josh Allen doing what he was doing in the playoffs versus Pat Mahomes. And, you know, just seeing those two guys on the field at the same time was like, I, I want somebody who could do those things. Um, so I, I thought for that reason, Malik Willis was uh, top of the class. Obviously, the you know NFL didn't see it. Well, I don't say the NFL didn't see it the same way, but the teams who pick, um, pick it, didn't and, see it that way. Was that the Steelers? The didn't Steelers see it didn't that say it that way. Yeah, you know, obviously Tennessee did. You know, they not Tennessee, but the Falcons didn't see it that way. They had several opportunities to pick him, um, and didn't. They went with Ritter. You know who we like? I like Ritter. Yeah. You know who like Ritter? I think Ritter was was he the number one? Yeah, Ritter yeah, that so, Yeah, so I had I had Ritter as my. Um, I, I initially had. Corral is my number two, and then I moved up Ritter to my number two closer to the draft. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, I think all these guys were the, the top three. I think for us, I mean, Willis, Ritter, and then Corral, I think those are the top three quarterbacks in the draft. And yeah. I think Corral is in the same neighborhood as those other two guys who yeah. – you know, but I think he has something that those other two guys don't necessarily have, and he's lacking something that they do have. I think what he has is that that ability to have that quick release and be accurate. Um, you know, all over the field. I think the other guys have that to an extent. I think probably out of the three, I don't know if Ritter Ritter may be the least talented in terms of arm talent. I think he. I, I is, think. Is, with, Ritter is the most pro-ready. Willis is the most untalented. Yes. Corral is somewhere in between. That's what I'm. Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to get at. You know, is that I think he's somewhere between those two guys, and I think being somewhere between those two guys is pretty good if you can maximize, you know, what you can do. And 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 the point I was going to make is every time I think about Matt Corral and and what he can become, um, at least in the short term, it's so dependent on on what I believe is Ben McAdoo's vision for, for how he can use his talent. So like, how, like if you was a, if you was a coordinator, um, and I know you sit around and think about things like this, so that's why I'm asking. If you was an offensive coordinator and just, if you're looking at all the offenses that you've seen around the league and what they like to do, like, and you know, like you've been, you know, you're Ben McAdoo and you haven't called plays in what, what, six seasons now? No, it's less than that, but it's been a while. But it's been a while. But since you've actually been an OC, you know, play designer, play caller, you've been away from the from the league, you know, like, I mean, you've been in the league, but you haven't had to do all of that. You've been able to, you know, be an assistant, be a QB coach or whatever. But you've been able to sit back and see what the league is doing. Like, how would you – like, what type of offense – would you build in Carolina to like do the things that we talked about early on with, you know, like it seems like they want to run the ball and be power. Uh, but now you have this quarterback that, you know, is like really good with RPOs type stuff. Like, is there an offense out there that you could take a look at and say, you know what, I could take a lot of what they're doing and I can use it in Carolina. I mean. I think probably what you want to do just from a more abstract perspective, I think you want to have an offense that's fairly balanced. Like I don't, I don't think Corral is a guy who, like he's not, maybe he can develop into it, but he's not a five wide all the time, pick him apart, Drew Brees quarterback. Right. Um, I don't think he's a 
I think he's mobile rather than dual threat. And I don't think he's a sort of fire it 40 yards down the field all the time, you know, just keep, to te- just keep taking deep shots type quarterback. Yeah. I think what you want is um, maybe something like what Atlanta did for a while, kind of like post Shanahan, where they did some running stuff. Yeah. Um, and they had some outside zone, like, you know, it wasn't just um, drop back pass all the time, but where Matt Ryan ran a fairly balanced offense that wasn't just always doing one thing. It kind of did a little bit of everything and it mixed things in. And although it wasn't amazing at any one thing, it did enough things well that it made it very hard for defenses to key into any one thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of... Uh, well, San Diego with, with Philip Rivers is another example. Rivers was, was really quite good. But like an, an, uh, an offense that doesn't actually have to be amazing at any one thing. It isn't, you know, it isn't like a, a Shanahan or a, a, a McVeigh offense where you're like, this is a very clear, it's doing this thing. Yeah. But I think, I think if you can balance things and have, you know, I think the intermediate passing game is where Corral has to really uh, take a step beyond the average NFL quarterback to be good because I, I don't think he's going to be the throwing 40-yard bombs type guy. And I don't think he's going to be the, you know, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, like hyper game manager type quarterback either. I think he's going to be that guy somewhere in between. His best case scenario is that guy somewhere in between who can do a lot of things well, but maybe doesn't have one amazing standout trait. Yeah. I, I, I think... We should probably move on to the, the, the other guys, you know, as we've gone for a while. But I think that the the concern I have with Corral is actually not about Corral himself. It's about where the Panthers are as a franchise. It's the. It's not that I think. I, I think it depends what happens. But the issue is, is if you know, I, I think Corral should not play right away. I think he should definitely sit for a, a fairly long time and learn. I think it <laughs> I does agree. seem it does seem like they're going to actually do that, which is good. The yeah. issue comes is if he's only played like two or three games and the Panthers go like two and 15. And they have a pick next year. Yeah, it's a bit of like, you know, do, you know, if the Panthers have pick 10 next year, it changes the equation, even if there's a new head coach, because then your options are kind of different. But yeah. if you've got pick one or two next year, which is not, I don't think it's likely, but I think it's probably a, you know, a 10, 15% chance the Panthers yeah. sort of bottom out next year. Yeah. He could kind of get mixed, lost in the mix, and if you've got a new head coach coming in, which would probably happen if that happens, yeah, you know, they are probably not going to pass on a Stroud or a Young to try out a guy who was a third round pick from the last regime. You know, yeah, I know. I mean, and 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 that's the part. Like, it's it's such a uh, a potentially, you know, uh, murky you know, situation, I think, you know, when it comes to how do they evaluate that? Because I'm with you. Even if Matt Corral would have been drafted in the first round or the second round, I don't know if I would have been willing to throw him out there um, this year early no. on. And I so I think I, I think he's somebody that, based on what I saw, is somebody that you would want to ease into it. Um, and because of that, he shouldn't have a lot of game tape this year, regardless of who plays quarterback for the Panthers. And, and then, you know, I'm looking at the schedule. It's tough. 
Um, I think we're in the top half of the toughest schedules in the league. It's tough. And, you know, we've gone 5 and 11, 5 and 12 in the last two years on the rule. This schedule seems like another year where that could be expected. Yeah. Um, and so now you're picking in the top 10 again. And I know it's, there's like, you know, at least, what, three, four guys, you know, next year that could go in the top 10, um, you know, just based on talent and height, you know, from this year. So, like, what will the Panthers do, you know, when they get to next year? They're picking top 10, top six, seven, eight again. And I, I, think, if they're picking, I think if they're picking six, seven, and eight, that's okay. Because I think if, yeah. if, if, you know, if you're in, if, in that case, I think you probably have a new head coach. And if your new head coach comes in and they're picking six, seven, eight, yeah. you can go, okay, we'll give this guy another year. We'll draft a franchise edge rusher, a franchise linebacker, you know, whatever, whatever it is. You got to do. We'll either trade down or we'll try and find a centerpiece player, and we'll build something and we'll kind of reevaluate where we are after a year. Just kind of yeah. what Panthers probably should have done um, right. in twenty twenty. But yeah. the issue is if they got picked one, two, or three, basically. Like if if you're sitting there in a position where you're like. If you think Stroud is a, you know, a clear, you know, top two pick type quarterback, yeah, do you pass on that for last year's third round pick? Because I think if they'd taken a quarterback at six, even if they fire a rule, whoever they hire as the next head coach, part of that hiring process is what do you think about this quarterback we just drafted? Because yeah. you're, you know, it isn't necessarily the right thing to do, but teams are going to be really reluctant to throw out last year's first round pick yeah whereas last year's third round pick yeah 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 will greer got tossed out the window basically so i think if everything goes really badly there is a chance that this just kind of becomes a nothing pick um but i i i i think you can you can start thinking too far ahead of these things i think on on the face of it I think that was a good play. You know, I think he was worth that pick and more. You know, he was a top 50 prospect, I think. Yeah, class. for sure. Um, yeah. While it would have been nice if they hadn't given up a future pick, the trade was not ridiculous. No. Um, and so I think this is a, in, in an abstract, context-free world, this is a good move. Yeah. Whether it actually ends up being a good move is going to depend on lots of factors, many of which have nothing to do with Matt Corral himself. I know, um, and I think, I mean, honestly, I, I, I thought, and it wasn't until I started hearing the NFL pundits kind of turn on Carolina, like, right before the draft. You know, like, I seen, like, um, Tim Hasselbeck, um, McShay, uh, I forget, it was another one, you know, who, right before the draft, they were really focused on Pickett and, and Willis, you know, at six. But all of them were saying the same thing, you know, it was like, you know, that would be the last place where I would want a young quarterback to go as Carolina, you know, with Matt Rule and, you know, with all the uncertainty there for the future. Like if I was one of these young guys, I wouldn't want to go there. And so we didn't pick at six, right? We didn't pick QB at six. So that, you know, people kind of forgot about what was being said about Carolina. But now the quarterback that was drafted, Matt Corral, this situation still applies though, you know, like it's, even yeah. though he's not a top, you know, 10 pick, it still applies to him because now he's still the quarterback. There's still going to be a certain level of expectation, um, you know, for what he can and can't do. And I don't know if he's going to have the opportunity with this regime 
to prove who he is because of the other factors, you know, needing to win now. Um, the fact that they may not have enough time to actually stay with and develop him. You know, like he may have a new offensive coordinator, new head coach, everything next year. Um, and like you said, and if that new coach comes in with his own coordinator, they might come in and say, hey, look, you know, especially if the pick is high enough, I want Stroud, I want Young, I want whoever, I want my own guy. You know, I didn't love Matt Corral. Uh, that that yep. could have happened to Willis. That could have happened to Pickett. It could have happened to anybody who was drafted this year. And, yeah. you know, for yeah. that reason, I, I kind of hope, and I don't know what scenario really plays out because I want, I want <laughs> just, just trying to be as optimistic as I can because I can't say that Matt Corral was like my top guy, but I, I saw enough to see why people liked him. And I like him now, but, but most of that is because I'm a fan and I want him to succeed. Yeah. I just don't know if he's going to get a fair shot to succeed this year based on what you said, you just based on the situation. And it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough to sit back and watch because I don't know what's the most ideal scenario for him because sitting him. No, you, you, um, have, you have, you have to sit him. I think, I think, I think the best yeah. case scenario for him is that Sam Donald is able to play well enough that they're like, if they get to week like 12, five and seven or like six and six. Yeah. They can keep rolling Sam Donald out there, yeah, and they, and they don't. You know, the issue is, is if they start one and seven, yeah, and then and it's just like calling for Matt Corral, yeah, and not just that, but it becomes really hard to just keep, you. Know, you can't keep rolling Sam Donald out there to the point where it becomes completely uncredited, yeah, because ultimately yeah. that's that's the easiest way to you know to lose a locker room is by yeah. seeming to have clear. You know, I mean, if the Panthers come out and they say, you know, yes, Sam Donald is terrible, but we believe in this guy and we know he's not ready, so we're going to pay TJ Walker for the rest of the season, then I think at least then there, there is an honesty there. And I think players right. can buy into that. I think fans should buy into that. I think yeah. the issue comes if it goes to like week nine and they're like one and eight, two and seven, and they're yeah. going like, uh, yeah, no, we believe in Sam. We think Sam can, you know, sort of what they did last year, really. Yeah. I, I, I done wrong. I think it should be in a better situation. And although their schedule is really tough, I think they have a chance to actually put Sam Donald in some decent positions this year. Um, yeah, and, just game, game management wise, yes. I mean, the rest of it is on him. Uh, yeah, but also like you know, McAdoo, I'm not sure he's necessarily the world's best offensive coordinator, but at least you know he is not a guy who is in his second ever season of play calling who is going to get fired after like yeah, eight weeks. Yeah, you know, yeah, if, yeah. if McAdoo gets fired mid-season, then they are burning the house down. Right, right. You know, yeah, you can't hire a guy and fire a guy. Well, you, he wouldn't be fired alone. No, no. I mean, yeah, it would be Matt Rule going too. Yeah, in which case, I just assume McAdoo would become the interim head coach. So I, I think you know the the you know. I can't see a world in which they're suddenly sort of tearing you. Sam Donald did not play well last year, but also the Panthers had a lot of other issues, as they did the year before that as well. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean he's going to be amazing this year, but he can at least be maybe okay. Um, yeah. If you've got a good run game, you've got a, a scheme that is at least consistent, designed and called by someone who's done that before for a living, um, that, that should help. No, I mean, it, it should help. I mean, honestly, man, like, I, I try to be so supportive of, you know, my, my favorite team's quarterback, you know, and, and, you know, Sam Donald is probably like the only one that I can remember across all my years of fandom where I couldn't, you know, see it in him. And it's, it's, 
And it's not like, because I can see the flashes of all the things that he does well. You know, he's really athletic. You know, he has a good arm. I think his intermediate arm is, like, really good. Like, when he's on, like, he can make all the throws, you know, like, in tight spaces and everything. It's just the fact that, as for me, as a fan, as, you know, as an observer of football, at every level, the QB position is about trust, right? And, like, how much can you trust your quarterback? I think that's the most frustrating part about Sam Donald, you know, as as a fan, you know, as and like when I watched him before, like, you know, he was with the Jets. So he was in, you know, Southern California. Like I didn't have to worry about, you know, whether or not he was inconsistent or whether or not, you know, his team and his fans can trust him. Like now I have to worry about that. Like there was times last year where every time Sam dropped back and, you know, like when you're watching a game live, you see the guy launch the ball and, you know, the ball would go off the screens temporarily and then the camera. Like there's a split second where you're wondering where it's going. Yeah. Like like every time I thought it was like a pick. And like if it landed into our receiver's hands, it's like, whoa, yes. Like, you know, it could be like a 10-yard completion. Yeah, the thing is, how, however good he is this year, I think he can definitely I think at the moment he's almost risking being out in the NFL in a couple of years. He, I he, think he if, really is. But I think if he plays well this year, you're still not gonna pay him to be a franchise quarterback, are you? No, nobody will. Like, I, I think he's like Dalton now. Yeah, there, there's so much evidence that, that he cannot be trusted. Yeah, he just can't be. That's it. Like, it's just the quarterback position is about trust. And if I'm a guy as a coach with my, with my job on the line, if I roll Sam out, it's saying that I trust him over everybody else on this team. And Sam is like the least trustworthy starting quarterback in the league and that I mean I'm not even trying to like be hard on him like I would trust every other starting quarterback in the league over Sam Donald in terms of like what I expect him to do on the field because and I think the 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 most infuriating part of it is like after being forced to watch him last year as my team's quarterback I can see why people so easily get caught up in what he can do because when he can do it it looks good like he can run he's tough like he can make the throws and like the throw he made to Ian Thomas was crazy. You know, the throw that he made to Robbie Anderson late in the year was crazy. Like yeah. to be able to have that much touch and accuracy and, you know, and like under pressure, like it, it's like, wow, like, okay, I see it, you know, but then it's like, he's, you know, always, throw, like, he's always got a mistake in it. Yeah. And it, and sometimes, and then they, I think it's because they, it's because the mistakes cascade. Like it's not like, He's not like a guy like Jimmy G that, you know, you know, Jimmy G has a mistake in him. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's the same way in that way, but Jimmy G can make, he can, he can make a mistake and forget. Yes, and, yeah. And he'll, he'll come back and win a game after he made like a boneheaded interception. Yes. I, I, Stafford's got that thing as well. He Stafford absolutely has a mistake in him at all times, yeah. but can also just forget about it and turn it on in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, that was like Stafford, I think, threw two interceptions in the Super Bowl. If I'm not mistaken, I mean, or it was the game before that, like where you think, like for most quarterbacks, that'd be the death nail, you know. But Stafford can like erase that and come back and make two amazing throws, and he can score within a minute and thirty seconds. And you like, okay, that's why people love Matt Stafford. Jimmy G, the same way, you know, he can still figure out a way to make a a throw or a play, even after he made the most boneheaded interception. But when Sam Donald makes an interception. Is like 
he can't shake it. And and I think that's the part where the trust goes away because I expect every quarterback to make a mistake. But you have to be able to shake it and get on with the next play and the, the next drive and, you know, still lead your team. And I just see him lose his confidence too much to where that's the, that's the only hard part or the only um, hesitance I have to, like, to, to, to them plan him this year. I think from a business perspective, I think Sam Donald, I think it would be smart for them to just roll with Sam Donald. You know, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I think Here's, here's the best short-case scenario or best best short-term option for the Panthers right now. There's yeah. no... I agree. Unless, unless I like, agree. Baker Mayfield gets cut and you can sign him for peanuts and get yeah. to compete in camp. Like, there's just... Yeah. There are not better options out there. No. I mean, and, and, and that's where I'm at with the two. I just, like, as a, as a, I try to be as, like, as rational as I can be as a fan. I'm like, okay. Like, that's still, like, the, the smartest thing is just to roll with Sam and develop Matt and just kind of see what happens this year. Like no expectations, no whatever, you know, just go with that. But I, but the other part of me as a fan that wants to like enjoy watching football is it's really hard to watch football when you can't trust the quarterback at all, you know, and yeah. I, don't, I don't have any trust um, for, for watching. Sam. I, I mean, I like the guy, like, honestly, I've, I've come to convince myself like the guy is actually a decent dude, you know, but I just, I don't trust him playing that position because I hate the fact that every time the ball leaves his hands, I expect something bad to happen. And like, I'm surprised by when something good happens and it's like, Whoa, like it's the, the wave of emotions as a fan watching him is like, I don't know how New York did it for three years. I think because they, I guess they had him so young, you know, it was all potential and upside. The same way it would be if we had Matt, Matt Corral out there in week one right now, I guess, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just I, I think he, he, you know, he, I, I think something I would say is that at no point has he been on a team where you could say he has above average players around him. It does not excuse his mistakes, but he has never had even average supporting cast. I think his 2019 team was pretty good. Um, yeah. Not that he had above average across the board, but I think he has some good players around him. That you, I think that, and then and he didn't play bad at you. Um, but I think that was his best team that year and then last year with the Panthers. Um, I think those have been his best supporting cast um, to begin the year. You know, he had Le'Veon Bill, he had Robbie, he had um, um, the other receiver. Um, what Arios, is it? James um, Crowder. No, he Marius had Crowder. Thomas. It was the guy who got hurt, number 81. Um, uh, what was his name? Um, I thought he was a good receiver, too. Uh, he's like a, in, in, oh, in Quincy, Quincy Anunwa. Yeah, him. yeah. No, I, mean, I think he had negative receiving guards for his career at the Jets. But you he, know, he just, but I, just never got healthy. Yeah, I just he just was negative. He was never healthy. But I thought, like you know, just on paper, I thought he had like a good supporting cast around him that year. I think that was the year that they got Ryan Khalil at least to start the year, and 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 I think he ended up getting hurt. Yeah, um, I think I think they should, you look at that year and you go, oh yes, everyone got injured. Um, yeah, yeah, but but they had Le'Veon Bell. I mean, they had players. Um, um, it just didn't. I mean, it didn't work I would out. Say that was, it was still a pretty bad. If you look at the roster, it's not. Yeah, yeah Sam. Was, <laughs> it's, had, it's not a, it's not a good offense. Yeah, he had Mono that year. Um, you know, so like he missed like what four games because of that, three or four games. Um, but and you look at his numbers, like that was his best year. Yeah. And, I thought like that was peak Sam. I thought like you know like that's, and that was and that was still a pretty poor supporting cast. Like I, yeah. I, I think the thing I would say is like with someone like um, Mayfield, 
there's really no source of optimism because he has had good, you know, he's had really good receivers, good head coach, good offensive line, and still not necessarily like he's played badly even when he's been surrounded by good talent. Like with Sam, there is at least the hope that if you put good players around him, not that he'll be good, but they can just be okay. You know, I mean, you know, I'm I'm a big. I hate to say I'm a big Mayfield guy, but I do like him. I I I never run away from guys I like instinctually like. And I don't know, I, honestly, like Vincent, I can't explain why I like Baker Mayfield so much, bro. Like I just I can't. Like I try. I mean, I've I've fought with myself over the last few weeks of the feeling of like trying to like like it's so against like normally like what I'm for. But I think I love underdogs so much. You know, to where like I think I, I put him in that category of like an underdog. He doesn't seem like that now, but I remember him when he did uh, back in college, and and like I was rooting for him, and and when he won the Heisman, I was happy for him. Um, I didn't expect him to go number one overall. I thought Lamar was the best QB that year, um, um, but I thought Baker would be the second or third. I definitely had him over Sam Donald in eighteen, and so. I actually had like Rosen up there, like kind of high. Um, but I had Baker up there. And when he went first, I was surprised, like, whoa, I didn't think he was better than Lamar, but I get it, you know, like, and I want you to succeed. You know, so when he when he jumped off to the fast start in Cleveland, um, I thought like that's what I expected you to be, you know, and, and I was happy for him. Next year he fell off. Third year, you know, with um with the new coach, you know that came in from, from Minnesota, I thought like he was like, I thought that was a perfect fit for who he was. And and he looked really efficient. And that's who I thought Baker Mayfield, I thought Baker Mayfield, I see Baker Mayfield as the 2020 version. Um, and that's not like elite, but you know, it's top 10 in terms of efficiency. Um, like he'd never be top five, but like he can, he can be between 10 and 15 on, on any year. That's who I honestly, that's who I see him as in my head and I, I think i think the issue is there is he had a top five receiving like top five supporting cast no no i agree i agree with that but you know i, I look at all these teams man like that that are good and not like every quarterback that's good has like great talent but most of them do and baker mayfield i think the way that they are they were set up i mean jarvis landry is good receiver um odell beckham obviously you know when healthy is a really great receiver um, you know, the tight end position, I don't want to say they had top tight ends, but they had decent tight ends to complement that. They had a great running game, a great offensive line. I don't take any of that away from the equation. I just don't think that – I think he gets too much um, hate because he had the great talent around him. But it wasn't like he didn't he didn't play well with that talent. I mean, they went at 11-5. They, they should have beat the Chiefs. Um, you know, that year in the playoffs, they should have been in the AFC championship and maybe on to the Super Bowl. And I know if he wins those, if he wins that game and maybe the next game, like he's going to be looked at totally different. Um, but he didn't. And he's not. But in my mind, he still has that potential. And I mean, whether or not, you know, like he becomes the Carolina Panthers quarterback for 2022, I don't care. You know, like, honestly, I don't. But I mean, we saw on draft night on on that second night of the draft, like they really anticipated that he might oh, yeah. be 
Yeah. So like the Panthers like somebody in the building likes him. And I don't disagree with him, with whoever that is or whoever those couple of people are. Like, I agree with them. Um, I don't, I mean, and this ain't about Baker Mayfield today either. This is, but we're talking about the quarterback position. We're talking about Sam. Um, I just read a tweet, you know, while we were recording that was like, you know, the Panthers still have interest in one of these vet QBs and they should still be open to, you know, looking at Baker. I, I, think, I, 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 I think they should be open to it, but I think, I, I, I think it's one of those things where it's very easy to, for like GMs and head coaches to talk about process. Right. It's not so e- easy to actually go out and put process into, you know, into, into action. Yeah. I think something that I did really appreciate was the fact they didn't do something for Mayfield. Yeah. Not not because you know I thought Mayfield would have been the end of the world or you know his coming would signal the end of days or something, but just because if you have a position like there was no need for them to make that move. Yeah. Like they, you know, ultimately, if they'd have made a trade for Mayfield and taken his, his cap and given up picks, yeah, who are they bidding against? I think last year they essentially bid against themselves for Sam Darnold. They did. They thought they were bidding against San Francisco, but. San Francisco really wasn't in it at that point. No, I, I think they were. I think they got that very wrong. Um, yeah. But but I think this year they they didn't panic and just you know they actually stood firm. They went and okay, no, we don't think this is the right deal. We're not going to do it. And I think that sounds really simple, but it's amazing how, particularly when people's careers start to become involved, how easy it is for teams to kind of get jittery. And to go, uh, yeah, okay, fine, fine. We'll take, we'll take the money. We'll take the money. It's fine. It's right. fine. I was proud of them for for standing pat. Like I, I, I was like, obviously, when Steve Smith came out and said that he had heard that they were doing it, you know, obviously that little fan in me was like, ah, oh, yes, you know, like I get, like I want to see this happen. Um, and I knew I probably would get a lot of t- Twitter hate, you know, if it had happened. But I was ready, you know, I've been through that, and so <laughs> I was ready for that. But then when I started hearing about the breakdowns and started like reading and you know, reading the tweets and reports about what went wrong and the fact that, you know, Cleveland didn't want to um, pay, you know, what the Panthers were asking them to pay of his salary and stuff like that. I was like, I'm proud of you again, you know, for the second time, for like some of the goofiest reasons, I had to be proud of the front office for standing firm. Like the first time was when, you know, allegedly Deshaun Watson's camp called and asked for the 230 guarantee and they said no. I was proud of them for that. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, they, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, it was like one of the things where, like, I had to be proud of them for doing something that was like the most commonsensical thing ever to do. But like, it's like, wow, you surprised me because you did something that was. I'm not sure how much credit they get for walking ninety percent of the way to the wrong door and then realizing and turning back. <laughs> I know. Much. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's like the goofiest thing to be proud of ever. It's like, oh, but I'm proud that you didn't go all the way goofy with it, right? And so with Baker Mayfield, although I wouldn't mind Baker Mayfield being in Charlotte, like I was proud of them for like not being goofy about it, you know, and and choosing the route of going for Matt Corral and and just, you know, standing their ground with that. Um, but I still don't think that that solves not our issue. Like we talked about Sam Donald being like the, probably the smartest thing that they can do right now. I don't think that solves like everybody's issue at the you know at the team level though, no, and, and 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 so that's why I still think the conversation is out there about Baker or Jimmy or whoever you know like I think 
we're going to hear about that because they have to go into the season with what we said a few minutes ago with the QB who they can trust. And, I see, I, I, and they trust him right now. I, I think they need to find the QB who they can trust. I'm yeah. not sure they need to do it this year. Like, as, as in, I think at this point now. But he, I mean, but Matt, will, will he have next year to find him? Will Matt do have next year to find him? I think the thing is, I, I can't point anything sort of decisive about this, but it it feels very much like Fitter's role inside the organization has grown over the last year. It does. Whereas like, last year, it felt like Matt Rule was calling the shots and Fisher was kind of, I mean, naturally, he was just in the job. He was finding his feet. He wasn't the guy, you know, he didn't get, you know, he was taking up someone else's scouting department. He, you know, he didn't have a chance to, to, to build his own regime. But yeah. it feels much more like, whereas, whereas based on how last year went, I would not have been shocked if they have a bad year that both of them are gone and they're basically, you know, they are tied together right. i think it feels more like fitterer is he's clearly trying to work with matt rule and i don't think he's sort of you know trying to push him out the door or anything but i get the feeling that right. fitterer is is doing stuff with a view to how he could run the franchise if rule is gone in a year's time yeah like no, he, he's, he's making decisions he can live with in a year or two years or three years not just what he can do for the next 12 months which i think is absolutely you know he's you know that is the, exactly what he should be doing yeah, I, I I agree with that, man. And uh, I don't know, like I, <laughs> I'm glad I had this chance. I really haven't have I haven't talked to anybody about this rather than just tweet about it. And it's hard to catch all that and like you know whether it's 280 characters and a thread or whatever about how you feel about Matt Corral or you know like what he can become. But that's how I felt on draft night. Like it was like, oh, we drafted Matt Corral, and let me go and like find out all the things I haven't found out already about him and let me try to project him into this offense. And then it was like all the uncertainty around him and like what happens and, you know, how does that, what does that mean for 2023 if things go wrong and, and all the stuff and just the wave of emotions about earlier that night, you know, hearing that Baker Mayfield was on his way and then it's Matt Corral, you know, with the trade up in the third round. And, you know, just, and just trying to make sense of it all and like, so much doesn't make sense right now uh, about the about the QB situation still. And, the, you know, the one thing I would say is that one of the things that the reports that came out during that second day of the draft is that around the Baker Mayfield stuff is it was very, it, there were lots of reports that the Panthers had somewhat uh, a dissent of opinions inside the front office. They, you know, right. they weren't they were they were genuinely not all in agreement. And yep. I can, uh, you know, I don't know. But I would put some money on who had what view because they, right. because ultimately they have different timelines. And the same thing you got with Marty Hurdy in his final year. You know, yeah. the Derek Brown pick was partly a result of him having a different timeline than Matt Rule. Yes, yeah. And, and, yeah. You can, and the same thing with Teddy Bridgewater potentially, and a number of the other moves they made. It was about a, you know one guy was you know you can. You can talk about having this three-year project, but you actually have to buy into it, and yeah. everyone has to buy into it. And I think, although Matt Rule is the one talking about needing five years, I think Scott Fitter is the one who is actually building like they need five years. Like he is the one who is actually taking more of the long-term view. No, and, and and I sense that. You know, I just but like I say, you know, like as it relates to, like I think you have to like give a dog a bone, right? 
And I think Matt Rule is the one who needs the bone right now, right? I think Fitter is able to build and, and get the guys that I think project out for him. I think they, they, crucially, they have given him enough stuff. I did me wrong. If, if fans are saying, you know, we need 12 wins and to make the playoffs, like that's, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, if the Panthers yeah. do that, fantastic, but I don't think they will. Yeah. I think they've given him enough that you can go get eight wins. Yeah. Eight, eight, nine wins. If, if, if you are, you know, roughly at 500 this year with the schedule you've got with the young players, that's win. Yeah. That, that, that's, that, that gets you another year, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, I... But, but if they go three and 14, unless they have a whole, you know, huge number of injuries, yeah. this is not a three and 14 roster. It's not a, I don't think it's necessarily a 12 and 5 roster either, but it's not a 3 and 14 roster. No, it's, it's, it should be better than that. I mean, I, I honestly, I'm just looking at the schedule based on what I know. Um, you know, these who I know these teams are now based on what I last seen them do and some of the moves they made in the offseason. Yeah, I, I, I see five to seven winnable games um, based on expectations, um, just on paper. Um, and so that's where I expect them to be. I don't expect them to win nine, you know. I mean, they would shock me if they won nine um, just based on, you know, the talent, the QB situation as it is today. Uh, you know, I would – I would, I don't know how many wins Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield add to that expectation. Um, maybe I don't think, one. I mean, maybe one or two. Um, you know, they, they flipped the game, you know, by, you know, by a few points, you know, but I just, but I, I do think they would give me for whatever reason, I would trust those games more. I would, I would want to watch oh, those. Oh, games. Of yeah. course. But I think ultimately the, the I, I, I think we tried to make this fairly clear from the beginning of the soft season, but yeah. the sad reality of where the Panthers are right now is it is not just about 2022. Yeah, and it's about going forward. Yeah, and I, obviously there's no point making yourself intentionally miserable in the short term. But I think, you know, I'll come back to the key point here. I know we spent a lot of this yeah. talking about the top yeah. two guys. But yeah. essentially, if they hit on one of those guys, this is an okay draft. If they hit on both of those guys, this is a great draft. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. and, and, and to that point, I think that's why you know we focus a lot on not just the guys, you know, but the positions that they're coming in to play. Um, you know, Ikem Aquanu, Matt Corral, the whole draft, the whole 2020, you know, I think, you know, so much rides on this draft and what, you know, they can get out of those two guys yeah. somehow. You know, you know, definitely need to hit on Aquanu at six. Matt Corral, you know, who knows? Because it's like, you know, so many things can play into what becomes of him. Yeah, but of course, if somehow they figure out that he's the right guy from this, um, it would be a, a huge win for the Panthers to be able to build around that guy on that third round contract for the next three years after this. Yeah. Yeah. It, no, it would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, like that's that's I think that's that's where I'm at with it, you know, as it as it pertains to this draft and you know and this discussion. We have other guys to talk about, and I want to make sure we get to them. 
Um, you know, maybe we don't spend a lot of time talking about them, you know. But, no, but I, I think just, you know, just, just partly because of the way the Panthers draft was structured when it was very top-heavy pick-wise, and partly because of the fact they spent those picks on the two most important positions in football. Yeah. They are so significant in how this draft will be remembered. I think, okay, let's switch about the other guys quickly, and then we can talk, sum up a bit at the end. But so going to Brandon Smith, who was the guy they traded up for in the fourth round, um, I think this is a good pick. I think he is a, a fourth-round caliber linebacker. I don't think yeah. if they'd have taken him 30 picks higher, that would have been a bit of a reach, and 30 picks later would have been a great value. But I think this is a good pick. Um, I think he is probably... They're probably using both a linebacker and edge rusher, and although I think he is probably much more pro-ready as a, as a linebacker, I think I can see that. I, I, you know, he's more of a you know, he's good, good, good size, good straight-line speed, um, pretty physical guy. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, you, I, I think his ceiling is probably not as high as some of his superficial numbers suggest it might be. Might be. I think he, but I think he can be a starting caliber linebacker in the NFL. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a great coverage player. I think he can be an okay coverage player. And as a fourth well, round he, pick, I think that's a good value. Let me ask you about, you know, about this part of him. I know that the guy that was slated to play that position Damian Wilson, that's his name, right? Damian yeah. Wilson, um, you know, was, you know, a guy like that, you know, not probably not as fast as, as Brandon Smith, but, you know, yeah, Damian Wilson, you know, you're replacing Jermaine Carter, essentially. Um, is he somebody that can play up to that level, you know, if he's developed right and comes along? Yeah, I think probably the Jermaine Carter comp is quite a good one. I think Jermaine Carter coming out of college was not necessarily a guy who would have gone, oh, yeah, this guy can be a starting NFL linebacker. Yeah. Um, as in, he's like, well, he'll probably go back up. Maybe he can become a starter with time. And I think the same thing is true with, with Brown Smith. Right? Yeah. He probably is not going to start right away. Yeah. But has enough upside that he could start and can yeah. offer them some depth and special teams. I think the best thing that he has going for him is that he doesn't have a lot in front of him. No. In terms of being able to play, you know, is, is that he doesn't have a lot in front of him that could keep him out of the lineup. Like, he could if he shows decent, you know, during the offseason and going into camp, like I've seen rookie linebackers get into the starting lineup pretty quick around the NFL. Yeah, and I, I think he's certainly somebody who should be in the uh, – who should be on the game day roster. Yeah, yeah. He should be active every week. Okay. Um, I, I think he yeah. – I think ultimately and any of these guys that are taken later on, expecting them to make a big impact this year is, is a little bit optimistic. Yeah, um, I think a, a reasonable opt- uh, expectation is that he plays special teams. He maybe comes in and plays some sub-line back here or there or rushes the edge every now and then. Yeah. Maybe plays 25% of the defensive snaps. Um, I think that's probably a fair expectation of what he might be able to do. Yeah. Um, I think the next pick was uh, Amari Barnett um, at the top of the sixth round. Yes, I think he is probably going to play a bit as a rookie because they are really thin edge rusher. Yeah, and he, but he is a a great athlete who is still learning to be a football player. I think. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think it helped that the way he was used did not exactly um, train him particularly well to make an impact in the NFL early on. Like he was used in quite an unusual way. That you know, often he was sort of effectively like. Uh, a stand-up edge rusher, but on almost like a two-point stance. So he was looking like he was going to drop and then occasionally he would sort of rush. And 
he has good physical traits, but he is a he is a real project. Um, I think of the of the of all the Panthers picks, even Corral, he is the biggest boom bust. In that you yeah. are you are drafting an athlete and trying to make a football player out of him to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, maybe they can, maybe they can't. I think in the sixth round, that's worth the risk. Um, certainly, given his athletic upside, but I think yeah. he is a he is a real project. Um, I would be amazed if he played tons of snaps as a rookie. And if he does, either they're in real trouble or he's making great progress. So, yeah, right. and, and that will be pretty clear on tape. Um, you know, let, let me ask you a question about to compare Barno um, you know, to a guy that came out of last year's draft. Do you remember how we felt about Jason Owe from, from Penn State? Yes. I think are he's... They, are they similar in that way? Uh, yeah, I think he's... He, He's less clearly applicable, if that makes sense. But so yeah. the, the thing with Bono is that he's really quite long, um, but quite slight. Yeah. And OA, although he wasn't short or sort of super broad by any means, but he was fairly compact and could probably get away his sheer effort alone combined with his athleticism will get some yeah. success. Yeah. I think the issue for Bono is that because he's so long you have to be really precise in how you use that length. Yeah. Because if you don't get it right, you can get swamped really easily. Right. Um, you know, just because pad level and hand placement and arm extension, when you get it right, length is really good. Yeah. When you get it wrong, length can make those things really hard to, to kind of, you know, to, to, to overcome. Yeah. Um, so I think he he potentially is less even if he's technically no less developed, who he is as a physical athlete is less well-suited to making an impact just through effort, basically. Yeah. Um, so I think he's probably the, the one who is up there with Barnes as the seventh-round pick, the least likely to see significant playing time. Yeah. Um, Cade Mays is possibly the best value pick the Panthers had, and I think he is significantly better than where they took him. Yeah. Um, I think he is a borderline, borderline starting caliber offensive lineman who can yeah. play multiple positions who they got in the sixth round. I'm not sure he will start right away. Um, and they have actually got quite a deep competition across the interior. Yeah. Um, you know, Brady Christensen, Cam Irving, Bozeman, Elfline, loads of guys in that competition. Deontay Brown, Michael Jordan, huge number of guys competing for those spots at center and left guard. Um, I, I'm not sure he wins one of those spots, but I, I think he has a genuine chance of being part of that competition. I think he could, be, he could genuinely become a, a, a good starter, not just a stopgap. Um, not that he definitely will be, but I think, I think this is a really good pick. I think definitely the quality of depth he offers for a six-round pick is, is excellent. Spot. So I think this is probably you know, not an, an amazing, amazing athlete, but a good athlete, technically really good, Really flexible plays, multiple positions. Um, I, I think he's, this is a. I really like this pick. Um, Caelan yeah. Barnes is something of a project as well. I think he is less of a project than Barno is, in that right. I think he is probably he maybe isn't quite as good an athlete as Barno. Like I think he's a good athlete rather than a great one. Um, okay. But he's got great speed. Yes, um, great speed. I, <laughs> and he's not super, you know, he's not as agile as maybe you'd like, but he's agile enough, I think. Yes. And his tape is, while not amazing, I think there is enough on tape that he's not just an athlete. 
like when the Panthers took Stan Thomas Oliver a couple of years ago, he was a complete project. There was very little on tape to start with. You were drafting the athlete and the human being, basically. Right. And I think right. he has actually come a lot, a very long way. And I think that looks, even if he doesn't end up becoming you know, an NFL starter, I think that looks like a good use for a seventh round pick, yeah. two years yeah. old. Yeah. I think Barnes, there is more there on tape to make you think this is not just an athlete who happens to be on the football field. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and we know for sure that Phil Snow and, and Matt Rule, they know what they're getting at Caleb Barnes. I think they recruited him. He played for them at Baylor. Um, so I would, I would like to believe that Phil Snow has an idea for how he would deploy him, uh, which gives him a leg up, you know, even though he's a seven-round pick. Um, I think having that familiarity, a lot like, you know, what they did with um, Bravery and Rory. Um, yeah. Years ago. Like, you I, know, they have an idea for how they, you know, for what the guy can do and how they can utilize him. And, you know, we've seen, if not anything else from Matt Rule is when he gets his guy, when he brings his guy in, they typically stick around in some capacity. Yeah, I think he's a, he is an early favorite for a practice squad spot, would be my assessment. With a good yeah. camp, he can make the roster. Um, yeah. But he is—he is an early. Given the Panthers have a reason of depth at corner, right. he is a, an early trade um, practice squad candidate. I would say. One thing I will say about you know somebody like Kalen Barnes is that you can't coach four two, and usually those guys find a way to be on the roster. You know, and so you know it, I don't know you know what his gameplay is like. You know, I haven't watched a lot of film on him, but when you're that fast, you know special teams. You know, like being a gunner, you know, whatever it is, like, usually a team finds a place for a guy who runs a 4-2-2. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I think he will get a legitimate shot. He's not just a... I think people were a little bit put off last year. Maybe that's the wrong use of language, but when when they took Hoskins in seventh round. Yeah. After taking a long snapper. Yeah. And it almost felt like a, you know, particularly as he was not a guy who was a particularly well-known name. I think some people thought, you know, you're just throwing a pick out to throw a pick out. And then he got, he genuinely got a legitimate shot, played well and made the roster. Yes. So I, I think they will, they will give all of these players and the UDFAs genuine opportunities to, to, to show out. Yeah. Whether yeah. they do or not is up to them to a certain degree. But uh, well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, um, from these guys, you know, like the, the, the last four. Brandon Smith, and I, because I really wanted a linebacker, I wanted somebody who can add to that room and, you know, and be somebody who could potentially, I don't know if he's going to be special, you know, uh, or anything like that. You know, we had a group of linebackers that we were really keyed in on, um, Chad Muma, N'Kobe Dean, um, you know, and then even the second-tier guys like uh, Leo Chanel and um, Chanel and, and um, who was the guy, you know, from Georgia, Tyndall, I believe. Yeah. And so, like, I had like I wanted one of those four guys, and like I think it was day day two, like they were all falling off the board, and I was losing hope. And so when they came back early on day day three and and landed Brandon Smith, you know I just wanted to go and see what this guy looked like, and you know, and and he's not as I don't think he's as good as those other ones. No, you know? he's not. Yeah, he's not. You know, so I don't want to get like overly hyped about him, but it would be nice. To, to have somebody who's really athletic playing that position again and hopefully he can develop into something. Like, I don't expect him to be on the field to start the season. Um, but, you know, sometimes linebackers take time and, you know, and every once in a while, you know, they surprise you. And so I just, I'm kind of hoping for him, but, you know, like the, the one guy that you mentioned, you know, who may be the still of the draft, 
um, just based on where they picked him up at is Cade Mays. And um, I didn't know a lot about Mays before I heard his name um, and, you know, looking at offensive linemen and things like that. I don't think we featured him when we talked about offensive line. Um, but, you know, when I went back and researched him, you know, he was a, you know, he was a five-star recruit and there's a lot of five-star recruits who never make it, but he was a five-star recruit. Um, he, he had a, a really good start to his career here in, you know, Georgia. And then he transferred back to his home in, in Tennessee and, and, you know, it seemed like he was a solid offensive lineman there. Um, he, 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 he was probably their best offensive lineman over the last couple of years. Yeah. Even, you, you have him over Trey, you have him over Trey. I think, I think, uh, yeah, I think he was a better player than yeah, I mean, that's saying a lot, you know, really, you know, considering how Trey Smith um, performed last year in, in Kansas City. And so, yeah, I, I, I think I think Trey Smith was maybe a little bit overrated last year. Like, I think he was a good rookie. I don't I think he was maybe a little bit overhyped. Yeah, um, he was he, he was he, he was just, you know, like when you're nasty, man, like on the, in the trenches, it shows up, you know, and then a lot of times that stuff gets. You know, that, it's gonna that's the stuff that gets on Twitter highlights. Is, is, is yeah, that yeah, stuff. yeah. That's what I'm saying. I, I think Kevin um, is is not that guy. He's the he he's a bit like the Andrew Norwell in the sense of like he's very very just like flashy stuff, but he's just right. consistently good. It's you know yeah. Trey Turner made smash flashy plays, yeah. whereas Andrew Norwell just did his job. Yeah, but, you know, snap after snap after snap. For and I'm fine years. with it. Like for offensive line, you know, like oh. the best like for me. The best offensive linemen are the guys that you never hear their names called. Yeah, if, you, if, you're, if you're not noticing an offensive guard, it's probably because he's playing really well. Yeah, and that's, you know, so if, and honestly, what I hope for this team, you know, not just for Kay Mays, but I hope for this roster, you know, for Scott Federer. I know he came from this environment where everything is competitive. We put the best players on the, on the field. If Kay Mays is really like that, I hope he gets a chance to, to play in one of the top five linemen positions. You know, like, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, honestly, I think the only two guaranteed positions on this team right now is Taylor Moten at right tackle and maybe Equan New at left tackle. And then every, like, those middle three positions. I think, I think, I think Corbett is pretty solid at right guard. Yeah, well, Corbett at right guard, you know, but how, how long we have Corbett for? Two years? Three, three years, I think. So we have him for three, so maybe two. Bozeman's on a one-year deal, um, and he's a center guard. Uh, F-line. I don't really consider F-line, you know, to be anybody who's entrenched. Um, so let's say it's two positions that's up for, yeah, for, for battle. I think the big question is, where does Christensen fit? Yeah. Where does Bozeman fit? Right. Because I think those two, I think if you go, you know, if, if, you, if you were betting, you would say the offensive line is Equino, Christensen, Bozeman, um, Corbett, Moten. Yeah. And yeah. I think the question is whether all five guys stay healthy uh, and whether someone else makes a claim that gets above those guys. Well, one thing I will say about this team compared to years prior is that, you know, we were already paper thin, you know, at offensive line. And at least for this year, on paper, you know, we have quality starters, and there seems to be quality depth pieces. Yeah. And and that's something, I mean, even if you include the Cam Irvings and, you know, you know however if, they call if, out Pat F line. And, if if and Cam Irving is your, like, Third tackle, fourth tackle—that is fine. Like that, like, like yeah. I think yeah. they're paying him too much, but I think he's yeah. perfectly good for the job. Yeah, I uh, mean, do you do you see a position? I mean, like, if I'm looking at, I haven't looked at his contract since last year. Is this contract is he cuttable? He can be cut, right? He if can be cut, um, yeah. but it would. I think it would have to be the point where, like, if he is 
a top six offensive lineman, top seven, eight offensive lineman. They're not yeah. going to cut him. They save like two million by cutting him. Okay, so that's what I was thinking. If, 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 it it if wouldn't surprise me if they cut him though. If he's definitely good, if he's definitely making the roster for you, you probably don't cut him just to save the money. I think yeah. if he's on the edge, if there's like, well, there's no difference between him and Deontay Brown or him and you know Michael Jordan or or, or Dennis Daly, yeah, then you cut him. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think we have enough depth to just automatically say we can cut him. Um, not at this point, you know, it it, it really would depend on um, how deep you can get into the to the off season, you know, and, and stay injury free, and you know, like I think it also. It also depends on what happens with Christensen as well. Yeah, I think yeah, if Chris, I, I think if Christensen doesn't start, it makes Cam yeah. Irving much easier to cut. That's what I'm saying. So if Christensen doesn't start now, he becomes your swing tackle, um, and 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 you know somebody like K. Mays could be used as a tackle guard, you know, on the right side, you know, and and you can have backup depth at both tackles, you know, and so like I, I'm, I'm that'll be an interesting situation to watch, but you know, but hey, look, man, like I think overall. You know, just the fact that we can have that conversation about Cam Irvin being a backup rather than being your starting left tackle means that we made some progress. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, compared to last year, the fact that, you know, oh, the, 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 the offensive line is definitely better. Yeah. How and much I, I, better? I'm not totally sure. As in, I, I, whether it's good, decent, very good, I'm not sure, but it is definitely better. Well, I think, you know, I think objectively, I think the Panthers did what they wanted to do via the draft and free agency in improving the offensive line. No, that's what Scott Fritter said that they they were yeah. intentional about doing. They have done that. Um, the QB room has been improved object, you know, objectively. I think we went to last season with essentially two quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, um, have the same two quarterbacks plus Corral. So it, yeah, plus Corral. So, I mean, so objectively we're, we're better because we added – potential um you know to that qb room um still could be added to you know as we discussed earlier and so they you know like those were our biggest weaknesses last year we had other weaknesses too we haven't really addressed the edge loss and yeah I, I, I think there's a chance the, the the front seven takes a step back yeah and so I'm, I'm not looking forward to that i think we probably got better on the inside a little bit worse on the outside yeah um, okay. you know and a lot of that depends on the inside part depends on um, how much Matt Ioannidis is ready, you know, to play and how healthy he can stay. Yeah, um, and whether Nixon stays healthy, takes a step. Yeah. Like, I think the inside has got better. I think yeah. Hassan Reddick and Jermaine Carter are probably bigger losses than some people realize. Hassan Reddick particularly. He's, he's, yeah, yeah, Hassan Reddick. I, I mean, I, I, think, I think we can replace. I mean, I, I think we don't give Jermaine enough credit for, like, how how well he you know he, he played his position based on understanding his role uh, i still think he was limited in what he could do yeah no i, I, don't, I don't think it's like a, he was an all pro and we we, yeah. we 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 lost out i think it's more that ultimately that they you know they had a they have i don't think they have made progress at linebacker and until certainly brandon smith can maybe become a better yeah. player than, than yeah. Carter was, but I think they will probably be worse at linebacker this year than they were last year. And, that's I, think not, they, and, and I think they'll be worse at edge rusher as well. Yeah, and, um, and when you think about, like, those two positions seem to be isolated and attacked, you know, when, when on the yeah. same side. I don't, I don't like the prospect of that. No, um, I, I, I think they are, defensively, they need 
the likes of Derek Brown, Nixon, Ioannidis, and JC Horn, CJ Henderson, players who are effectively new players, yeah. or to some degree at least, to, to, to elevate them for losing Reddick. I think if the defence is as good as it was last year, that, that is a big win. Yeah. I think they have invested quite significantly in the offence this year, yeah. and it's the offence that needs to take the step. Yeah, and 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 I'm hoping so. I I just like right now, you know, one thing that I learned a long time ago, you know, besides the offensive line, that's that's improved. Um, but our starting QB and the skill players are essentially the same. And so, yeah, you know, yeah. So you, like, you you would hope that McCaffrey is healthy more, and crucially, if he's yeah. not healthy, I think you have in Foreman a a, a a better insurance option. I think they they are better at skill position. Yeah, they they they're better. Yeah, Foreman is an upgrade in the running back room, you know, and um he gives us more depth there. Um, but it's not by a long shot, you know, we're better. And so you know, offensive line is better. Foreman was added. Um, the receivers are the same, the tight ends are the same. So, you know, it's really gonna come down to, you know, like what happens at the QB position. And and, and also player development as well. I think that's the thing, like, you know, there is potential to Terrace Muffer Jr. Um, Tommy Tremble, in particular, yeah. if those guys if those guys get better in a significant way, that can yeah. make a really big difference. Same with Ian Thomas, and there are other guys there as well. But it can. But the thing is, that's going to like really play into those guys playing better. Vincent is how much better is the QB throwing them the ball? It, I mean, it's one of things where has, it, a lot it, has to do with that too. It is. It does, but it also, it's also a bit of chicken and egg in that if there are yeah. guys consistently getting open, it makes his job a lot easier as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and if you're in a scheme that is, you know, more effective at yeah, getting you to the right place yeah. at the right time, yeah. um, uh, you know, even if Donald is the same Sam Donald, if everything else around him gets better, there will still be the bad mistakes, but there should be. I mean, the issue is there were times last year where, it, you know, for a variety of reasons, both quarterback, offensive line, and skill position, it felt like they had just had no ability to move the ball whatsoever. Like every, every series was a three and out waiting to happen. Yeah, and and, 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 and all, or disaster waiting to happen, and and that's the part. Like I just, I think these, yeah, I, I think with Sam Darnold, the the odds are there's still going to be that disaster waiting. But if you can <laughs> move the ball more consistently, if you yeah. if you if you throw fifteen picks in a season. You know, you know, Matt Stafford threw 17 picks last year. Yeah. You know, if, if you're moving the ball consistently, that won't completely make up for all those errors. But you right. can win games even with bad mistakes as long as you're able to move the ball. And the issue was last year is that they could not move the ball and make yeah. bad mistakes. And I think, fr- frankly, even without the interceptions, they were so poor at moving the ball in offense, they were still never going to win. We wouldn't have scored anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, man, you know, about Sam earlier, you know, I think the thing is that that has always concerned me with him before he was even a Panther is that, you know, the mistakes just seem to compound. You know, like I think good quarterbacks, all quarterbacks make mistakes. Good quarterbacks are the ones who, like, can put those mistakes behind them and can get on with the next play, the next drive, and, you know, go on and win the game or play effective for the rest of the game. Sam's mistakes compound and they seem to escalate you know once he has one turnover then it becomes two then it becomes three 
type of deal. And, and, um, and, you know, he's, if he's on the roster, I want Sam to do well. If he's starting quarterback, I want him to have all time great games. I don't care. You know, if he's out there, I wish the best. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how this off season plays out and whether or not he's still, you know, the week one starter comes, you know, come September. Um, because, you know, every time they ask Matt Rule or Scott Fitterer about, you know, is Sam Donald at UQ, your starting QB, they, of course they have to say, yeah, and they've even gone on this lane like right now, but it's an open competition, right? Well, you know, you and I have already said that we don't want to see Matt Corral have to start early. So, you know, like, I mean, it may be an open competition between those two, but I don't really think it is. I think if it's Matt Corral and, and Sam Donald, Sam Donald's the starter. And so, um, yeah, I, th- I think I think there is certainly you. It's almost like you have this bar where, if Matt Carell reaches a certain level by week yeah. one, then he does get to start. And same with that, you know, there yeah. are occasionally guys you know who are just who make magnificent progress and just are ready. I mean, Cam Newton was not yeah. perfect as a rookie, but he made so much improvement. Right um, to the point where, like, starting the season, he was you know he, he was did not play on the last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and by a long way. Yeah. Um, I think expecting Corral to be that is unfair, but I think there is, you know, there is a benchmark where I'd be okay putting him out there. But the yeah. the worst case scenario is the one where you get like two weeks into training camp and Sam Darnold looks absolutely terrible. Yeah. And you're like the we can't credit you, know, we cannot put him out there, but we don't want to put Corral out there either. Yeah. That's when I think things like a Baker Mayfield trade or or just going out and signing anybody, um, yeah. that starts to become more of a serious option. No, I, I get that. I mean, so we talked about, you know, all the, the draft picks, talked about the Kwanu, Matt Corral, Brandon Smith, Barno, Kay Mays, Kalen Barnes, you know, and overall I believe the, the feel is, you know, the whole draft, you know, really um, hinges on how good the first two picks turn out to be. Um, we at least need to hit with, Equanu and him being, you know, the left tackle. Um, but, you know, as we stated earlier, like it, it's not a guaranteed thing for any of these guys. No. Every 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 draft pick is a prospect. Um, they all have to put in the work. You know, they all have to be developed properly. You know, there has to be a lot of things that play into their favor for them to be as successful as they possibly can be. Let's just let's hope for the, the that this staff, um, this reconfigured staff hired by Matt Rule this offseason, you know, with, um, McAdoo being the OC, uh, Dave Campen being the O-line coach. Uh, you brought back Steve Wilkes as a DB coach. You know, you, you brought back, you brought in um, coaches, special teams coach and Chris Tabor. You brought in these coaches who can really change the culture, you know, in that locker room and, you know, and, and maybe improve development, um, you know, get these guys ready to play quicker than maybe they normally would have, you know, under the past regime and the past, you know, assistant coaches and, no, it's, it's really time to see what what those hires mean, you know, for the team and what they mean for player development, what they mean for, you know, for, for team readiness, you know, when it comes to actual games, uh, being prepared. And, and and so, you know, it's I'm overall, you know, based on the draft, I, you know, my, my, my needle moved a little bit towards optimistic. I've been pretty down, you know, for the last year or so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning optimistic again because we do have a left tackle. We do have somebody um, that, that looks 
believable, you know, as a QB prospect. And I think we did as about as good as we could do, you know, with having the limited picks that we had um, in terms of picking up um, projects like Smith, Barno, Barnes, and then getting the potential start in Mays at some point. So, um, so I'm good on all of that. Um, we didn't talk about undrafted free agents. Um, there's a lot of them. You know, is there anybody out there from the undrafted free agents that you've seen that's like, okay, like this guy is, is special or, or is it pretty much they're all the same to you? I don't think there's anyone who's actually special. I think there are a few guys who stood out watching a bit on tape. I think uh, Andrew Parchment, the receiver from Florida State. Yeah. Um, I think he at least has, you know, you, you watch him on tape and think there's, there's a reason to think he could potentially make the roster. Um, yeah. Same with Babbitts, the, uh, yeah. the tight end from North Dakota State. Yes. Again, I, I, I think there is a, a real competition for the number three tight end spot. And I think he, you know, he, he does at least enough that you think that's a genuine option. And the, the final guy is Isaiah Graham Mobley. The uh, the linebacker from Boston College, who yes. I don't think he's going to come in and start by any means, but they are. There is so little proven depth at linebacker that I think he has a legitimate chance of of, of competing for a roster spot, particularly if he plays on special teams. Yeah, I, uh, he isn't technically a UDFA because um, he hasn't signed yet, but I know their rookie minicamp they had Emeka Ramezi. Um, yeah, yeah, from yeah, NC from State. State. yeah. I would. Be, I think he, you, you were high on him, like going to. Yeah, I think he's a really good receiver. I think you, yeah. I think he would be a really, really good pickup, and I think he crucially would be a really nice compliment to what they have. Um, well, wasn't he the one that you said would be a good, a good um, draft pick for the for the Panthers? Considering we didn't have a big need, wasn't he? Wasn't yeah, yeah, no, no, he he would he'd yeah. be a really good like sixth or seventh round pick for me. Yeah, um, I think he would if they I, I would sign him. Um, yeah. I, he is on the older side. Is the, yeah. the the downside? You know, he played a long time at NC State. Yeah, um, but he's a really good receiver, and and crucially is is a receiver who is good at stuff that their current receivers are not particularly good at. But he would, he, would, he would be a really good fit. I mean, again, very much not a UDFA, but they also worked out Ryan Switzer, um, yeah. who I know, obviously, in you know, North Carolina yeah. collections, he is going right. to be a big name. I will say... I, mean, I, I just find it funny, man. Like, I mean, I know, I think we talked about it on Twitter a bit. You know, it, it was like, all of a sudden, like, all this hype, I started seeing Ryan Switzer pictures and, you know, being featured on, like, articles and stuff. I was like... Who is this guy? Like, you know, like he's not one of the rookies. And then I, I saw who he was. And and I mean, I probably was a bit critical. You know, I, I do like Switzer. Um, I don't, I was just interested to know like how he was invited to the rookie camp because I know a couple of weeks ago he came in to to catch balls from Sam Howell. Yeah. And I was like, now he's at the rookie camp. I see that this is a common theme that I saw Callaway or somebody was at somebody else's rookie camp. Um, and I didn't know that veterans could do that you know and um but i mean but i get it i know he's a north carolina guy i know he's a good returner i know he was pretty special you know at north carolina you know he, as a I mean, he, he got badly hurt last year i think so i think he missed all of last year um, okay. i think he so i really like ryan switzer coming out of north carolina um i he, can tell <laughs> yeah honestly if you haven't already go and watch his tape from the game against fsu Okay. In his last year at North Carolina, there is a route he ran on, I think, third and seven. In like late, it was a game was tied with like two and a half minutes to go. And yeah. he, he made it his catch on third and seven. And he ran yeah. this route that I still think about from time to time. It was just, it was so, it was a wonderful example of really excellent technical route running. I think something that NFL teams kind of undervalue yeah. is that. You know, he is definitely, you know, he's like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, he is a smaller receiver. Um, yeah. He is not a speed guy. 
but he's he's really quick and his ability to change direction sharply with balance to create separation underneath yeah. i think is he's the kind of guy that i think if he was coming out now you i would you'd almost think is this someone who could play running back in the modern nfl yeah and, and just you know his his potential is just that you know running six seven yard option routes on like third and yeah. four you know he 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 is someone who is 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 very good at one thing and i think yeah. that's the thing that particularly at skill positions you know and skill positions in defensive fronts you know because you can sub as new effectively infinitely you can you can choose to put players in very specific positions yeah. and obviously there's no point carrying a receiver for two plays a game right but but the thing he is good at is really valuable in my view you know, he, he can create separation against man coverage from the slot. Um, and particularly on third down, that's really valuable. Yeah. Uh, and he's a guy who should not be playing every offensive snap. But I think even if you watch some of his tape from early in his career when he was playing with the Cowboys, um, you watch it and think, this is a guy who, if he gets, if he gets used in the right way, he can be really good. And I think, I'm not saying he was as good as this, but if you look at guys like Hunter Renfro, who's yeah. obviously a bigger receiver, but it's that kind of... You, you have to give that kind of player the trust to go out and do what they do. Because if you just line them up outside and get them to run a conventional route tree, yeah. you miss all of what they're good at. Right. And I think Switzer is not under Renfro, but I think used in a similar way to how the Raiders use Renfro, I think Switzer could be a really useful number five, number four receiver. And I, I, think, yeah. I, you know, I, think, I, I think the key when you have a guy like that and maybe I'm wrong and thinking like I think you have to have like the offensive concepts and like a quarterback who can like maximize a guy like that. Yeah. Like I think I think Renfro playing with Carr is like perfect. You know? Yeah. I mean, just like you know Edelman and and Welker and those guys playing with Manning and Brady was like perfect for them. You know. Yeah. Um. You know, I don't know if Beasley is like the same type of guy. You know, but I like, think Adam Humphreys is probably more like that. Yeah, Humphreys, yeah. And Humphreys was in Tennessee most recently. I don't know where he was at. Like, who, was the, uh, oh God, who, was, who was the receiver who was in Buffalo three years? It's, uh, not for, not recently. Um, uh, I forgot uh, his name. Stevie Johnson? Yeah, he was yeah. really good at that too. Yeah, yeah, just, just quick separation at the yeah, last Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, yards, yeah. yeah, yeah and, he, and, he was fantastic. And there's a, there's a place for those guys. You just have to have, like, I think his quarterback was, like, who, Fitzpatrick or somebody? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, you just have to have a guy who can like really get synced up with that, yeah, and, and know how to like take advantage of that when they need you know a third and four, you know a third and six, you know, and and trust that guy. And I think Amezi is good at that as well in a different way. He is more of the you know body a guy up, get over cool, yeah. for a slant, you know, kind yeah. of I, I'm gonna I'm gonna run five yards and I'm gonna bash you off the top of the route and I'm gonna cut inside. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what you know, like that was the best version we saw of like. And Curtis isn't naturally like a guy like that, but when we had Curtis Samuel a couple of years ago with Teddy, they kind of yeah. did certain things with him like that. I think what separates, so Curtis Samuel is, I think the thing that separates him from guys like Switzer is that he also has the ability to line up and just Go burn outside. you deep. To, very, to just yeah. burn you deep. And I think Switzer yeah. isn't that guy. He, you know, what, what Samuel did over the first like 15 yards is what yeah. Switzer can do really well. What he can't do is the stuff beyond that. Yeah. But I think that's the thing is it, it's, Understanding how you can, how you can use very specialized skill sets. And I think that, yeah. you know, and, Ian, you see, and I think Ian Thomas will be an interesting guy as well because he is, you know, 
he is not the Greg Olson nuanced route runner, but he can yeah. run vertical and create vertical separation. And yeah. him and Tommy Tremble are guys who are different specializations, but are, are guys who are good at certain things, but not good at other things. Yeah. And I think how you, that's how you can make a real difference as an offensive coordinator, as an offensive play designer, as much as anything else, is you know everyone wants a guy like a DJ Moore or uh, you know uh, Devonte Adams or you know those you know everyone can make those guys look good. Yeah, it's your ability to to make really dangerous weapons from your number three, number four, number five receiver. Yeah, and, and that's what you know. That's where these top quarterbacks. You know, that I've seen in the recent years, like, you know, Allen and, you know, and, and like even the guy like Herbert, you know, out there in, in, in LA now, you know, like they're taking these third receivers and making them dangerous. You know, Matt Stafford, when he went to LA and, and Van Jefferson emerged, you know. Van Jeff- so Van Jefferson is, not, is another guy who is, he was really good. Like, he, he, Florida, yeah. he was really good. But um, yeah. I think, L- LA's done a really good job, and the other guy is um, Bryson Hopkins, the tight end who they got from Purdue. Yeah, he's another guy who's just you know he's not super flashy. He can just get open. Like if yeah. if, if I think that that's the thing is like you want guys who can get open against the number four, number fifth cornerback. Because yeah. if you can do that, if you can put four guys out there who can get open against your number four cornerback, yeah, you have to go zone. You know, yeah. you, you you either go zone or you create a matchup. And I think. Yeah. You know, the quarterbacks who have really dominated that is Peyton Manning because yeah. he always knew where his matchups were. Yeah, he would he would beat you with a guy like Austin Collie, you know, and he like yeah, yeah how's you know, like who is Collie? And, and and before it was like Pierre Garcon, you know, like being you with guys like that or Gonzalez, you know, he like who are these guys? And who was the tight end they had in Denver, the guy who was played college basketball? Um, oh um I know you're talking about, I can't think of his name, but yeah. Um, was it Williams? But he, he played really well with with them, but didn't become what people yeah. thought he was. Because because Peyton knew when his matchup was there, and yeah. you know, he yeah. knew it's it's interesting because like um, the JT O'Sullivan who does the QB school, um, the yeah. YouTube channel, and his his analysis is really good. But yeah. when he talks about like you know play calling as as a high school coach, he talks a lot about you know, basically just trying to get the ball to your best receivers, just find your best players and just keep getting the ball. And right. we've seen that with McCaffrey in Carolina. And there yeah. are definitely times when that works. But I think what you what's really valuable is when you can use the threat of those guys to get other guys the ball. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to go solo against McCaffrey and DJ Moore, fine, I'll throw the ball to McCaffrey and DJ Moore. But right. It's about having a clear plan so that everyone else is not just, you know, scenery. They, right. they are legitimate options if teams do certain things to take away your targets. Yeah. And, and I think having those guys who can be, who can be matchup pieces in their own way, yeah. um, I think is is really valuable. I mean, you know, Ted Ginn is a prime example of like the ultimate specialized receiver. Yeah, you know, he as he got older and he got more developed, he he did become more than just that. But ultimately, he was just so fast and so good running down the field. Yeah, that you know, if he just ran go routes just constantly. He yeah. wasn't always getting the ball, but he was always forcing the defense to adjust to create separation. You have to respect people. it, yeah. 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 I, I, I think that 2015 Panthers season where they had like Cotchery, Ginn, Funchess, um, Philly Brown, that was a really great example of using a couple of guys, namely Olsen and like Ginn down the field 
to, yeah. to effectively, you know, if you played man to man, you had two guys who could get open against man coverage, one running vertically and one over the middle. Yeah. And that meant that you then had the opportunity to create plays for the guys like Cotchery or Philly Brown. And, and you were able to use a range of different skill sets to create a really nice complement. And the, it really was a case of the some of the parts being greater than the whole. Yeah. And I think sometimes what happens when you really focus your game plan and your, your scheme design around star players is that you undervalue the impact that your lesser players can make. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> it's funny because I know everybody looks back at the 2020 season and, as a failure, you know, but when I look at that offense and the way it ran, I think that was the the, the most beautiful part about how that, that offense operated was that, is that, you know, you had these star guys, but seemingly like the third and fourth guy was being utilized. You know, like Curtis, you know, Curtis Samuel was being utilized. Um, you know, Robbie Anderson was being fully implemented, you know, like, you know, but, you know, everybody knew DJ was the guy, you know, but yeah. he didn't, didn't just force it to DJ, you know, like, you know, Christian was there until he wasn't. But even when he was in, like, you know, we was able to do things other than just that, you know, focus on. And honestly, I mean, I, I talked a lot about Christian and I'm going to stop, you know, but that's been my only frustration. It's never been about his talent. You know, it's always been about it's so obvious that that's what we're doing when he's on the, on the field. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not, it's like, it's frustrating as somebody who's trying to like strategize. And I know I don't get to call plays. I don't get to, you know, make decisions about what the team should and shouldn't do, you know, whatever, but it's just like, it's so obvious that we're trying to force it to him that it takes away, you know, any kind of threat of surprise and seemingly all teams know it. And it's like just betting that he can be better than the team scheming against him. And, and it's not fun to watch, you know, and, and, and it's like, I hope McAdoo, you know, he comes in, sees Christian for the talent that he has and utilizes that. I mean, we talked about this and we're not going to talk about it today, you know, but it just, I hope that he figures out how to maximize, how to optimize Christian um, as a weapon without it being so much of the focal point to where like it's our identity um, on offense you know like I just want him to be like a really really star player you know uh, within the framework of McAdoo's offense and system whatever that system is and when he gets this opportunity he just maximizes it rather than you know is like you know give it to him 30 times and hope that he pops five you know and and that's yeah that's the frustrating part. It's like, because that's what Carolina football has been about for the last, you know, two, three, you know, maybe four seasons, really, you know, is, is you know, and, and for two years, first two years he was featured, 18 and 19, it worked, you know, it, it at least worked out for him. And then the last two years, it's like the whole scheme was built around that. And then when he wasn't available, it was like, what now? And I don't, I'm just tired of that being a narrative, you know, like, oh, you know, quarterback had a bad year, but Christian was out all year and, you know, this and that. Like, no, have your scheme, have an identity. When he's out there, he's like an extra bonus. And if he's out there for, for 17 games, then it's awesome, you know, but like, don't run him into the ground to where, you know, it's our fault that he can't, they I mean, it's coach's fault that he's not out there for 17 games. Just use him put them, you know, like maximize him. I went back and looked at McAdoo's offense and he had Rashad Jennings and, and Shane Vereen, you know, and he kind of played those guys off of each other. 
I know that he's Chris McCaffrey's better than Shane Marine ever dreamed of being. But if you can use utilize him with the balance, you know, that he had before, I think that's best for the team. And uh, so anyway, I mean, I could, that'd be a whole different segment and maybe we should talk more, (laughs) but I mean, we, 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 we wrapped up the draft class. uh, I mean, we we may talk again when like after camp and, you know, pre-cut post-cuts. Yeah. Um, this summer, you know, but hey, look, man, you know, do you have anything before I close out? Uh, yeah, I think that going going back full circle to the Tom Brady Super Bowl 51 performance. Yeah. In Super Bowl 51, James White had six carries for 29 yards and 14 receptions for 110 yards. <laughs> yeah. If you can use Christian McCaffrey like James White was using that game, that is, that joke is that like the first article I ever wrote for the right report was about yeah. how you can use McCaffrey as a weapon in the passing game well, after he got yeah. drafted. Yeah. And basically, what I did to, pre- to prepare for the article is I just watched the, uh, the Super Bowl 51 game over twice and just went yeah. like, okay, this, this is, this is, this is you, can, you can do this. You can actually throw yeah. the ball to a running back 15, 20 times a game and yeah. you can play winning football doing that. And honestly, yeah. to anyone who's listening who, who genuinely is curious about these things, go and watch, I think it's still on YouTube, the full game of the, the Super Bowl 51 and just watch how the Patriots use James White. Yeah. And you can use McCaffrey like that. And the, yeah. the key thing is, although they kept throwing him the ball, he was throwing the ball because of what the defense did, not because that was where they were going with the ball. Right. A- right. And I think if you can use that, where you use the threat of the receivers they have down the field, whether that's Moore, whether that's Anderson, Ian Thomas running vertically, all these things, you create stuff for the defense to worry about down the field and you create one or two options underneath. And you actually don't just use them as a check down when nothing's open, but it's a clear part of the progression of other defenses running up or are they sitting down? And you, you basically try and stretch them horizontally and vertically. And you talked about how you could build an offense around Matt Corral earlier. I think this is the way to do it. It's to just stretch the defense. Yeah. Not, n- not to be one thing or another, but just to try and make them think about five, five weapons every single play yeah. and, and have clear reads based off what the defense do. And 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 have a game plan of how you attack different different teams based on what they do off that. You know the thing that I think you know to your point about James White, and it wasn't just James White. You know, before it was James White, it was like um, Deion Lewis. You know, it was um, the guy that they had there in the beginning of the Brady era, number thirty-three. I can't remember his name right now, um, but he was a great you know pass receiver out of the backfield. Um, the, the Patriots always had that guy, right? Yeah. Um, and the best thing about the Patriots, you know, doing all their runs, you know, has been that Tom Brady always had the benefit of having that guy, and you didn't know when that guy was going to have, you know, nine catches or 10 catches or, you know, 11 catches. All the fantasy football guys, you know, you know, knew it because they would have one on their team. Just They would have one on their fantasy roster because they knew that in PPR leagues that they, that guy could win you a game any week. J- James White has more career catches than career carries. That's that's what I'm saying. And so, but the best thing about James White was that, and this is the part that people don't get, and they think it's just like CMC hate is not. The reason it's harder to do that with Christian McCaffrey is because Chris McCaffrey is clearly the number one player on this roster, right? Yeah. James White is was somewhat incidental on the on the on the Patriots roster. And everybody knew he was a threat. Everybody knew he was a great receiving running back, but he was never their featured player. And then 
out of nowhere, he can catch 14 balls on you and win a game. And you're like, oh, my God, like, you know, like we just got beat by James White or got beat by Deion Lewis or whoever the play is, you know, for the week. You know, they rotated that guy. I think Carolina got caught up in that becoming the thing um, and the way. And, 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 and it really stifled, you know, everybody, you know, every coach, you know, the regime, offense coordinator. I think it really took away from their ability to, like, highlight the other four guys that teams had to worry about. Like, it's really just DJ and CJ, you know, DJ and CMC, CMC and DJ. Um, and, you know, it's like other guys that you've drafted, other guys that you've acquired, you know, that can, that can win matchups too. Like, allow for CMC to, like, fade a little bit, not all the way out. You know, he's the best player on the offense. But, like, make them think that you focus on doing something different. And then, you know, like kind of surprising with CMC from time to time instead of like just when you line up. I mean, Sherman said it. I know that's a dead horse that I'm beating. But when Sherman said that two years ago, like I never forgot it. It's like when we play Carolina Panthers, like the objective is to stop 22. And if you take away him, they don't know what to do. And and so, like, it frustrated me because I was like, that's the beat, you know, like that's the way that defense is playing. I mean, that it should because he's that good, but we never adjusted beyond that. Like we never got, we never did anything different. And so McAdoo is like the most different thing that we've done. Um, I think you know, a, a better offensive line would also help. It I think would. So. I mean, definitely but, would. Yeah. I, I think it, part of the issue is it, it's, it's one of those things where it's very easy for me to talk about what I've just said about me, the idea of you. You create yeah. patterns down the field and you see and see maybe someone else to work under. Yeah. But the issue is if you don't have time for those patterns to emerge, defenses yeah. are sitting on the underneath routes, not just because yeah. of who you are, but also because they know that you're going to have to get the ball out quickly. So yeah, I think, I yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is, it's, yeah, it's easy for them to guess that it's like that the, is, the, part of the issue this year. Is the Panthers just could not protect long enough to throw the ball more than about 25 yards down the field. Yeah. And, um, and, and, yeah, and when they didn't have Christian, they didn't have a good, you know, I don't know, man. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. you know, like it's. Less, I, think it's less... I think it's the thing is when, when like when, when not to have a, a full round, but like when when various media sites talk about like you know the run game being more important than the pass game or this player being you know positional value is a thing, but particularly yeah. in a sport like football, everything has to work together. If you yeah. cannot run the ball that puts you in a real problem. If you cannot throw the ball deep, that puts you in a real problem. You don't necessarily yeah. have to be amazing at everything, but you have yeah. to at least threaten every possibility. Teams have to think that you genuinely could throw the ball 40 yards down the field or run the ball inside. Maybe not on exact, yeah. not on every play, but if teams can just disregard your ability to do something, it makes yeah. it even harder to do the other thing that you are normally better at. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. I agree. And like I said, man, like uh, I I just want to see something that looks a little different. I want to yeah. see something that looks like more innovative, um, you know, and 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 looks more up to 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 date with what's happening around the league. Uh, it's great to have Chris McCaffrey on the Carolina Panthers because he's that good, but to continue to use him the same way. And to end up being frustrated the way that we have for the last four seasons, uh, just wouldn't be very good for my for my um, for my mental health. And so, like, I I hope that we see something different. Yes, they should 
They should play him. They should utilize him. But you've been saying this for like at least the last two years, like use him more as a pass receiver, not even as a wide receiver, just as a pass catcher and, and highlight him like that versus trying to you know, do that and give him the ball 20 times a game to carry or 17 times. Like use your balance. You went out and got Foreman. You you drafted um, you drafted Trouba Hubbard last year. Like use the rotations that every other good NFL team is using at running back. Like, nobody's featuring run back. Like, Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs I've seen, and they still split time with him and Hunt. You know, like, and you got, you know, Derrick Henry's probably, like, the only guy who was, like, the, the primary feature back that wasn't platooning, and eventually he got hurt last year. You know, and and, and so, like, it, it really doesn't work, and I thought that he was pretty bionic. Um, he didn't even start his career as, a, you know, as the primary back. They still, they, Tennessee had Deion Lewis and him splitting yeah. time and early on. So, like, Let's just catch up. Like, you know, yeah, we got him. He's amazing. Play him like we play like every other team plays. And, you know, like use him in the in the situations that best that's best suited for him. And, you know, and, and use everybody else too. And, and 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 like keep teams off balance. But anyway, man, we need to wrap up. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's been a it's been a great, you know, episode as always. It lasted longer than than we always anticipate. Uh, we, we definitely appreciate all the people who stick around and listen for our rants and, you know, and talking about the team, you know, we do it because we're passionate. Uh, Vincent, man, I want to thank you, you know, for another season, you know, you know, this is season two, you know, this might not be the last episode this year, you know, but the work that you put into, you know, reviewing the film and, um, you know, breaking down these guys, you know, each week, you know, the different position groups, you know, like digging for names that people don't know and educating folks and me, you know, on these guys and, you know, helping inform me, um, and the rest of the Panthers fans about, you know, what these guys do well, you know, the things that are their strengths, things that could be weaknesses and how they may project. Um, you know, I just want to thank you, you know, for the work that you, you know, put into doing this. Like, it's not easy. I know that, you know, just from doing this with you. Um, and I have the easy part, you know, and so, um, <laughs> you know, which is just show up and, you know, review, you know, the, you know, what we're going to talk about, try to do a little studying, but, you know, you've done the hard work. So I appreciate you know, all your diligence, you know, all your your dedication. I don't think the fan base uh, really appreciates, you know, how passionate you are, you know, and the and the level of detail you go to the, to really, you know, do this, um, not just for the, you know, Sky and the Culture podcast, but, you know, for the, the Riot Report um, articles that you that you write and, um, and you publish. And so, uh, so thank you, you know, for being my partner in this. And uh, oh, you know, you. It's a, it has been a great um, year two, um, yeah, season two. And so, um, you know, looking forward to it. I didn't know how much I would like doing this in the beginning, you know, um, but it's been good. It's been a good run. And and um, and so, yeah, looking forward to, you know, how these guys, you know, pan out. You know, as you can tell anybody that's listening, you know, like we didn't get but like one of the top guys that we wanted, you know, in, in the quantum. Um, but it's not about that, you know. It's yeah, about, when you only have one pick in the top 135, yeah. it's going to be quite hard to take multiple kind of, shots at the top prospects. Yeah, I had a lot more hits last year than I did this year, but we had a lot more picks last year than we had this year. So uh, so anyway, you know, like, you know, we don't always get our guys, but, you know, that's the reason we do it is to try to figure out who all the guys are. And so, you know, we're at least informed about some of these people when we do draft. And uh, But overall, it's been a, you know, I think it's been a, a productive offseason for the Panthers. Yeah. Um, you know, free agency, you know, we've covered free agency too. You know, free agency, the draft. Um, you know, Scott Fitterer, I think, you know, 
as you mentioned before, he is definitely looking like somebody who has ascended in the organization and is planning yeah. for, you know, life with or without Matt Rule. Uh, but, you know, Matt Rule is the coach right now. You know, I can't wish any ill against him. I, I hope he's successful because I want a successful year. Yeah. You know, I hope that he can win the Super Bowl. I don't know if it's likely, but I hope that uh, for him and everybody else, you know, in the organization. So, um, so that's that's really all I have. You know, Vincent, you have any parting thoughts? No, I think that's it. I think it's just it, it's. I think the one thing I would say is I think how the Panthers do this year is probably going to depend more on how the players they've taken over the last two years develop than actually yeah. this. You know, obviously a quandary playing well would be a, a really boost, a big boost to their to their chances. But yeah. guys like Gross Mathos, um, you know, Brown. Uh, Marshall Jr., Tremble, Christensen, those guys taking a step, Horn getting back healthy. Yeah. That will make those are the, the things that could take this team from, you know, five and 12 to, to nine and eight. Yeah. I mean, I understand that's how your team should be developed. You know, that's, how, that's, the, that's the natural progress, you know, yeah. is those guys that you drafted, you know, getting to year three, sometimes year four. And really stepping into their primes as young players, um, you know, 25, 26, 27 years old, um, you know, and, you know, they finally figured out, you know, the mental part of the game, the physical part of the game, they've caught up, they've adjusted. Um, and it's not one year for a lot of guys. It takes two, three years, you know, for them to adapt yeah. and adjust and evolve. And and so, you know, we we should be getting to the point in their trajectory where we're starting to see who they can be. And it's, it's on them you know, to make those leaps is also on the coaches that, you know, that are hired to develop them. So, you know, that's why we're doing, you know, scouting the culture. You know, we, you know, taking these guys from, you know, basically their NFL infancy, you know, through their maturity. And, you know, by the time, you know, they're coming up on their deals, you know, or, you know, those injunction points, you know, we'll be talking about hopefully, you know, the guys that we're trying to bring in to, you know, to compete with them or, you know, push them out of the way, you know, or allow us to work from them. And so, um, so anyway, you know, it's, it's been a great, it's been a great run, you know, this year, you know, I've, I've learned a lot again. Um, I'm excited, you know, for the first time in, in a while. And, you know, I'm just hoping that they don't, you know, turn me back the other way when the, when the game start playing, um, you know, but, you know, looking forward to the off season. Um, like I said, we may come back at you all one more time, you know, late in the summer, you know, once we start getting around, you know. Yeah, maybe on training camp or something like that, yeah. yeah. Training camp and cut season, so um, so stay tuned for that. But um, for everybody who's been with us, thank you very much. Um, if you haven't done so already, you know, don't forget to, to rate, review, subscribe um, to the podcast. You know, we are on Spotify. We're on Apple iTunes. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Panthers Culture. Again, you can find Vincent at VRichardson444. Um, and, you know, feel free to interact with us, you know, about this episode or any past episodes or any, you know, questions you might have about the roster and the state of, you know, things with the, you know, with the players, coaches, whatever. You know, we're here, you know, to interact with you all. And we appreciate you very much. With that said, peace. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Yeah.